Well, we may be disappointed as to why Shrek is trending on Twitter, but we're here to talk gibberish, aren't we, Dom? Yep, we are back again. What, why is why is Shrek trending? Shrek is trending because a bunch of people are dancing to it on Strictly Come Dancing. I was really hoping for some reason, out of no absolute, you know, logical sense that could be made by any human being, they were making another movie for some fucking reason. Just for one last, one last payday. But nope, they're dancing to it on Strictly Come Dancing, which is a UK TV show that is just the worst. It is just... A bunch of celebrities, like one celebrity, one talented dancer, just doing routines and costumes, and it goes on for 20 fucking weeks. It is never ending. And it is always the top, like, every time you go and visit your parents, that's what your mum wants to talk about, and your dad's like, yeah, she's watching it again. <laughs> and the worst I thing is... I think the is, only time I ever paid attention to Strictly Come Dancing was the year that Bill Bailey won, which I think might have been last year, just because I thought it would be quite funny thinking that we were in... It describes 2020 to a T. Bill <laughs> Bailey, the comedian, won Strictly Come Dancing. <laughs> one of, by the way, um, not just a comedian, one of the most talented individuals I've ever seen take the stage. He yeah. is genuinely terrifying. I've, a bunch of his clips appeared up on, I think it was Universal Comedy's YouTube channel, and he is just on there doing his routines. They've taken like large chunks of uh, like massive performances he's done, and. Yeah. They've put them all up online. You should check it out, folks, if you want to see some really top tier UK comedy. Um, just his approach to things, and I mean, we, we're a big fan of Bo Burnham's uh, use of music during stand-up routines. Bill Bailey did that first, by yeah. a long, like a regular kind of panel show guest for, for as far as I can remember. Um, I think you said he had the best run of Nevermind the Buzzcocks. Yeah, uh, him and Phil Jupiter, because Phil Jupiter has been in Nevermind the Buzzcocks since the beginning. But when it was Phil Jupiter and Bill Bailey running the show, that was when things were pretty tasty. Then, in fact, I'll, I'll get to never mind the Buzzcocks later. I'm glad I'm glad you brought that up because I have some thoughts about the new the new version that they're running on Sky. It's uh, it's definitely a thing. I'm going to be honest. I had no out for this segment, so if you just want to go and never mind the Buzzcocks on Sky, feel free. I don't know how they fucked it up, but they did. <laughs> Okay, so let's explain to the, the internationals what this show is. It's basically a kind of musical quiz show. Yeah, it's a it's a pop quiz in every sense of the word. Pop music, pop culture, all that shit gets talked about in Never Made the Buzzcocks. Originally, in its very first incarnation, it was a comedian and I think now radio DJ Mark Lamar with Team Captains uh, Phil Jupiter. Like I said, he's been there since the beginning. And there's an Irish comedian whose name escapes me. Sean something, not Sean Locke. Rest in peace. God rest him. But Sean, an Irish comedian named Sean something, who was pretty hysterical, and yet another comedian that passed before, before his time. But then, so the the whole, the whole show was about you know they talk about what you know art artists that have been in the current zeitgeist, what they were doing, dumb shit that they were doing at gigs. There was a there was a question in one of the series like what was a which one of these statements was true about Snoop Dogg? He got kicked. It was A. He asks for his room to be cleared of furniture during a during a uh, when he finishes a gig, or was it he flashed himself to a bunch of people in his school, causing him to move school, all that kind of shit. And uh, it kind of it went through different incarnations. Mark Lamar was the original host with uh, Bill Jupiter and this Irish comedian whose name escapes me. Then it went on to. Uh, Bill Bailey joining in after the Irish comedian passed away. Still, Mark Lamar. Mark Lamar left 
then Simon Armstrong tried his best to keep it going. But it's weird because I'd say that's the segment, that's the, the period of the show that I saw the most of. Yeah, but uh, I think he in total did maybe three or four seasons before he packed it in as well. And it was just one of those shows that despite it being well received, it just kind of churned through hosts and team captains as well because there was a few team captains that they went through before uh, No Fielding was decided on after Bill Bailey left because Bill Bailey, there's a clip that he talks about it in one of his latest stand-up shows where he goes, I was, I had better things to do than that. I was a, <laughs> I was a pretty funny. I was a pretty good comedian. Had a pretty good career, and I didn't want to be talking to some indie halfwit. I think that the, the exact line is, "I don't need to be talking to Fern Cotton about the the introduction to Britney Spears is toxic." I have a grade six clarinet, as in I'm yeah. a like top tier musician and a damn good stand up. I don't need to be handling this bullshit. Yeah, and I, I think the worst period for the show is when they just started having in all these different guest hosts. There were some good, um guest hosts in there like David Tennant did a really good job uh, Rod Gilbert who was the host at the very end but only for one season he, he did a pretty good job as well but most of them were just kind of here's some dickhead from some who's currently in the charts let's get him to host it and I don't want to hear what the fuck Dizzy Rascal is going to do with this show I don't want to hear what <laughs> Tiny Temper Pinchy Strider what the fuck are they going to do with these like, I've just said all these names no one listening knows who the fuck they are <laughs> I don't know who the fuck they are, but they hosted Neverman the Buscocks. <laughs> this week's special guest with a book to sell is da da da, and you're yeah. like, oh great, da da da. They had a, <laughs> they had what's his name, Barman, John Barman, and host one show, and the whole show quite literally just became a gay off between him and somebody else. Like, <laughs> that sounds pretty horrendous to say, but that's what it turned into, <laughs> uh, and it just kind of limped on. Uh, eventually. Shutters are down tools after Rod Gilbert series. And then Sky, you know, like Frankenstein that back to life. And then this this time instead of having uh, two team captains, they just threw four uh, regulars on and two random guests. And the random guests could be famous. I have no fucking idea who they are. The only the only person I genuinely recognise on the teams each week. There's no fielding. Right. <laughs> uh, everyone else, I mean, Nish Kumar shows up there eventually, but I think he did one episode and thought, right, this is shit, I'm not coming back, even if Greg Davis is the new host. Yeah, and you think Greg Davis genuinely makes Taskmaster one of the funniest TV shows that you can watch on Channel 4. He can't even make this shit work. <laughs> I think with him, though, he needs to be allowed the room to make things weird in his own way. Yeah. Auto-cued does not suit that guy. Yeah. And especially someone trying to write him like the jokes and the lines to make him sound weird when he naturally has an ability to make things incredibly awkward by just being like yeah. a six foot six giant with just the worst sense of humour in the world possible. Yeah. <laughs> I think that comes from the fact that he, he, he taught in school for so long. I think I just warped his, his mind <laughs> and bled directly into his sense of humour. Yeah, because as a school teacher you need to be able to be funny without swearing or cursing or saying anything inappropriate. So you need to find yeah. new ways around jokes. I think that's you're I think you're right. That's what leads to him having a different warped sense of humor than maybe anyone else currently working at the moment. Yeah. Either way, uh, don't watch the new season of the Buscocks. It's genuinely shit. If you're a fan of the old show, go and try and find the original series on YouTube or on DVD or something, because you'll have a much better time watching the old good shit than you will 
the new stuff. Greg Davis is doing his best, but it's not good enough. No fielding. I love no fielding, but he's he's not trying his hardest. He's just like, I'm here because I'm being paid to. I have no inclination of making this good. The guests that they're getting in, I either don't know who they are or I don't like them. <laughs> this sounds harsh, but it's true. Yeah, there's nothing worse than tuning in every week and being like, oh good, it's that guy again. Oh, fuck. <laughs> they had, they had, oh. uh, in one of the most recent episodes, I think it was the last episode, they had, them, had some guy on called Youngblood, and I'm just sitting thinking, who the fuck are you and why should I care? <laughs> yeah, it's a weird type of uh, celebrity we have now where it's like, how do we introduce this person? Do we uh, tell them about the latest album they've done or do we just say, okay, he has this many Instagram followers and yeah. use that as the metric? I'll give it time. I imagine in a couple of weeks' time there's going to be some uh, English or uh, yeah, probably English YouTube stars on there. That are like this guy's got two million followers on YouTube. Let's get him on the show. <laughs> At which point, I hope Greg Davies stands up and walks out. <laughs> see, I it's... don't think the UK audience would accept that. I think the Americans are trying to make it work. You'll see um, some YouTubers going like late night shows and uh, like I've seen. I think PewDiePie was on uh, Stephen Colbert at one point. Um, I've seen a few yeah. like Americans uh, celebrities try to make it work. They can normally sell it with the uh, the female uh, influencers because it's like, okay, here's here's attractive young woman. Don't you want to see attractive yeah. young women talk about stuff? And you're like, yeah, of course. But I think the UK we just have that kind of reserved attitude where it's like, okay, this this newfangled celebrity yeah. doesn't fly. I think in general, it's just if he's not on TV, chances are no one's going to know who know who he is. And as you told me in a recent conversation the BBC and other TV shows or TV channels are struggling to get consistent viewership. Because, you know, Netflix is a thing and YouTube is a thing. Yeah. That was uh, that was an interesting one, actually, because it was due to... Um, there was an article went up from... I think it might have actually been the BBC or maybe in the BBC or someone else like that from British Journalism that was saying that uh, the BBC is planning to personalise and collect data on BBC iTunes, or not iTunes, uh, iPlayer users and use that to suggest more relevant content to them, so to get them to stay on the platform, because that is all that media is nowadays, is get someone to stay on your platform, get them in the door, and get them staying on your platform for as many hours as possible. Mm. The BBC is concerned they are falling behind where you have platforms like Netflix, which right now is, it's it's such a weird, like Netflix has uh, the new show Squid Game, which I've started, I don't know if you've seen this. The Korean uh, horror no. show? Uh, basically a Korean horror show where they take uh, kids' games and make them ultra-violent. Uh, for example, right. uh, Red Light, Green Light is one of the first episodes where you basically are, like, someone turns away. When uh, they are not looking, you can run forward, try and get across the line. When they turn back to look at you, you have to stop. If you move, you get shot. All right. That's the first episode of the show. Um, and it's it's an interesting watch. It's very fun. I enjoy Korean horror, so that this uh, is definitely interesting. It's a lot of kind of horror and broad daylight stuff. I don't think I'll talk about it fully yet. I want to see the rest of it. I'm only like three episodes in out of ten. So I'll wait and come back to you with more information on that. But to be fair, turn on any podcast this week and I guarantee you someone's ranting about Squid Game. So you don't have yeah. to wait for us to cover it. I was incredibly disappointed that this wasn't some kind of Splatoon-based spin-off. <laughs> it's Splatoon, but instead of delving into the ink, it's the inky horrors of the Eldritch universe. Yeah. <laughs> they jump, they dive through pocket dimensions and end up in Cthulhu's Obsidian Abyss. Just have to swim their way back to reality. They'll just randomly be grabbed into tendr- grabbed by a tendril of Cthulhu and just dragged into the real depths of hell. And you're like, oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> now this is a horror show. 
But uh, no, like they Netflix right now, that show is so successful. They're being sued in Korea. They're being really? sued by a Korean uh, internet provider because the internet provider was hammered with requests for like so much. Like so they have to facilitate the transfer of the data packages from the Netflix yeah, yeah. server to the end user. And they were hammered with so many requests to watch the show that it broke their fucking servers. <laughs> and uh, they're like, hey, uh, Netflix needs to pay for that. <laughs> so they're in court right now trying to settle things out. And it's like, I don't think so. <laughs> I mean, they may have to, but I don't think so. It's not like a DDoS attack. They just have a good yeah. service and you fail to provide. I don't think it's on them. But hey, yeah. Korean law might have some other weird rules that I wouldn't understand, so. I, I mean, I doubt Netflix are going to be like, yeah, we're not paying. It's not our fault that you made a good TV show. <laughs> Sorry, we're so good. Flex's caller walks at the court. <laughs> yeah. Gets immediately arrested because that's not how court works. And <laughs> they. I think at that point, with the money that they're making from all the increased subscriptions because of Squid Game, they just attach their personal jetpack and float out the window. <laughs> but like. Pop the collar then. Places like Netflix and HBO Max can generate these massive like hype moments in pop culture that just grab everyone's attention. When was the last time you saw BBC even get close to something like that? I mean, it used to be, I'd say Doctor Who was about that level in the geek community, and especially here in the UK, where it was, oh my god, our show is so great. And yeah. I haven't heard anything about that since basically the Tenant era of Doctor Who. I mean, you're yeah. a huge fan of it, and even you've basically dropped off the edge of it. Yeah, it was it was weird because I was I was majorly into David Tennant's run on Doctor Who. Uh, sounded like I just massively man crushed on David Tennant there, but uh, why not? He's a good looking man. Uh, I mean, if you're gonna, you might as well. Yeah, <laughs> might as well. Uh, no, David Tennant's run on Doctor Who was genuinely peak new Doctor. Christopher Eccleston was good. David Tennant just took that and ran with it. Matt Smith was you know, kind of. Where the diminishing returns started happening for me, I was like, okay, he's good, but he's trying. The first season, he was a bit too tenant. And, you know, if you're going to try and make this role your own, try not copy the guy that came before you. It's like every guy that plays the Joker is like, don't do Mark Hamill, do something yourself. And uh, he was a bit too tenant for me. But it was to the sense that he was doing it, but not to the, not to the degree of what came before. And then. We had Peter Capaldi after that, and it just kept snowballing. It and like, got good actors playing the right roles, but it's just not going well. To the point where I don't think I've seen a single episode of uh, Jodie Whittaker series. But I've been told that you know it's really good, and I'm not a true fan because you know I stopped watching right after Peter Capaldi. But yeah, it was Doctor Who was probably one of those massive draws. But the BBC haven't been able to grab anybody's attention. I I think even before Doctor Who, because Doctor Who is even lucky to still be on TV, yeah. Because the the ratings for that have been dropping quickly. The only time the BBC got higher ratings than I've seen in a while is when they had that what the fuck was it called Line of Duty or something. Ah, uh, yeah, that was them um, basically trying to make a uh, what's called Tom Clancy ripoff. Yeah, and that worked because the ratings that they were getting weekly were through the fucking roof. Yeah, but beyond that. The BBC just can't capture and maintain an audience, and for some reason, they think the answer to this is to use algorithms and data detection and like for working on the trend side of things, rather than finding yeah. a way to make consistently good content. And yeah, I, I, I mean, they know what they need to do. They need to just get David Attenborough and make more shows, make as many shows as humanly possible. They need them to 
they need to make more series along the lines of Life on Mars and Ashes to Ashes and just remake the same three seasons of Doctor Who that David Tennant was in over and over again. I guarantee they'll come back for a certain amount of time. I mean, you could maybe try and pump a bit of money into the comedy side of things for the BBC, because that traditionally does very well over here in the UK. But I think yeah. they're probably looking at it and saying, we need that international audience. We need that the big money market in America. We need to try and get those people in the door. Yeah. Rather than just, you know, letting the British audience who, you know, pay for this shit actually make it work. I mean, hopefully. Yeah. I mean, if they're going to go that way and just say, look, we need a subscription service to fund all this, get rid of stuff like TV license over here. And then just chuck it into like an online, just chuck it into the online marketplace that would compete against Netflix and stuff like that directly. Yeah, because I think if you want that international money market, you put you know on the international. Because I'm pretty sure the, the Americans can get access to the BBC iPlayer, can't they? Yeah, there's yeah there's BBC America, and I'm pretty sure they have got BBC iPlayer. The only I think the only requirement is that you have a you pay a license fee, which you don't have to in America. So yeah, I don't know. Just Take, we'll probably find ways of getting to take everyone, get everyone to put money in the pot, and then take that money pot and make good stuff with it. Don't now they have that Brit Box thing, don't they? Uh, I don't know what that is, but probably Brit Box is basically just uh, you get BBC, ITV, STV, all that shit. If you're over in America, imagine paying for ITV in America. You've got thousands of channels to watch. The infinite like void of the internet that is constantly spewing out its own entertainment. You're like. No, no, no. It's time to find out what's going on in Scotland. <laughs> I actually can't think of anything that's on STV other than Scottish football. And even then, yeah, I think and if you're in America, why would you want to watch Scottish football? No idea. <laughs> even we don't want to watch Scottish football. It's that bad. <laughs> why would you Why would you do that to yourself? You're, you're better than this. You're in America. Go and eat some pizza for a dollar and go to one of your many, many, many bars. <laughs> your many bars and your many... What astounded me once was I was watching, I, I love the, the Daily Show with John Stewart, and I, yeah. I go back and watch occasional clips of that. And there's a map of all the Olive Gardens, which is like a, an American version of an Italian restaurant. And it's bad for you. Yeah. Horrible for you. <laughs> it's, it is bowls of pasta big enough to feed your entire family for about £3. And it Jeez. is just offensive, like, large amounts of food. To the point where they actually, obviously it's the American thing where they give you the, the two-go bag, like if you don't finish the meal in your one sitting... You can just take it home with you. Or you can just also add in items to go, like to leave home. And he says, he makes a joke of, are you worried that you're going to get lightheaded from your drive from one Olive Garden to your home where you might not find another Olive Garden on the way home? And he shows a map of all the Olive Gardens on the East Coast. And you're like, oh my God. (laughs) There are hundreds of these things. Hundreds of these chain restaurants that serve this like thick, disgusting, like fake Italian pasta. It's unreal. I'm like, Wow, that is market saturation in action. See, they go for the uh, Starbucks model. Just put one within, put them within 10 minutes of each other and put about eight of them within the one location. Funnily enough, the, the, the joke he makes is that there's more all gardens uh, than Starbucks. And he shows the maps together. And he says, oh, wait a minute. How about a, a, an idea for a restaurant? Olive Bucks. <laughs> and you make some weird, horrible like mix of like pasta and coffee. You find like either caffeinated pasta or like uh, pasta like soaked in the coffee, and you sell it to people <laughs> just because fuck it, why not? Apparently everyone's buying it. Might as well just combine the two. And you're like, that is the most disgusting idea I've ever heard in my entire life. Although it does explain when you see like a, a chain restaurant like that that's that big, like 
basically on the level of McDonald's here in the UK. Um, the idea that like if you watch those, uh, like I, I watch a lot of Gordon Ramsay's Kitchen Nightmares. When you go and see their kitchens, like their restaurants and stuff, you're like, oh my god, <laughs> what, is, what, what are you people doing? This is illegal. You should not be able to prepare food in these environments. Horrific. Every time I think of God, uh, Gordon's Kitchen Nightmares, I just think of that episode with the, is it Amy's, I think, I think they call it Amy's Crazy Bakery or something like that. It's about this woman that will kick you out if you say a bad word to <laughs> like genuinely fucking insane woman. Is that the, the last she's got like bleach blonde hair and she's got like the crazy eyes and her husband's like this Italian or like Middle Eastern guy who's like twenty years older than her and they just do not take any shit or any criticism. They just refuse to listen to anything yeah. anyone has to say. Yeah, I've seen that one. There's like Yeah. There's a lot of clip and compilation stuff from like Gordon Ramsay's official YouTube channel that by the way has billions of views. Um and yeah. he he does his own content, it's actually quite good. That he makes specifically for the channel. Uh, I watched him make an omelette with Steve-O. I'm like, this is an absolute disaster. What the fuck is going on? Steve was like squirting hot sauce in his eye. <laughs> what the fuck? What is, what is wrong with you people? <laughs> this is not how you make an omelette. Um, I mean, it is if you're Steve-O. Yeah, true. Um, but, he, like, they, they have all the clips and compilations, and, like, I'd say about two-thirds of that episode is up there, just because, like, that couple is just so toxic and so horrible. Everything they say is just something you kind of can't stop watching. It's that perfect level of just trash for YouTube content. There's, there's tons of those, though. There's, there's an entire episode that are up there just because, like, we can't show you any of this out of context. Just watch the whole thing for free. We don't care. <laughs> yeah. It's it's such a disaster. We guarantee it won't make sense even after you've watched all of it. There's uh, there's the Hotel series as well. It's really, really bad because it's, like, the food prep stuff, it's just sloppy craftsmanship on the part of, like, the, the kitchen staff. It's normally just like they microwave everything, and everyone can tell. Like <laughs> you can't microwave frozen scallops and not have someone notice if they actually enjoy seafood. But then you get to the the hotel health stuff, and you see people just breaking health code violations. They're like, "Oh, there's just there's just mold here. That's fine." <laughs> no, <laughs> it's, it's really not. <laughs> Especially that type of mold. That's the one that kills people. Get out of the fucking house. Maybe burn the house down. Have you considered that? It might be cheaper than replacing all the furniture. I think I watched one episode of the, was it Hotel Nightmares or whatever? Hotel Hell. Yeah. Hotel Hell. And I genuinely, it genuinely looked like they filmed the outside of one place and they'd went to a different location when he went in there because the outside of this place was idyllic American looking hotel. Big long driveway up to the car park. Massive colonial cool looking house. And then when they went in, it looked like Vietnam. <laughs> and the guys in, and, Gordon Ramsay's uh, rented room because like the carpet was peeling up, there was the wallpaper and shit was yellowed. There were dead things everywhere, dead bugs everywhere. I just thought, why are you staying here? You will get some kind of infection. <laughs> My favorite. Go and sleep is, in your car; it'll be it'll be safer. There's uh there's a, the one they do. I think it's in Baltimore, and they basically the, the hotel is in like an old bank house, and they've it's so old that it's basically on par with, like, the city of Baltimore itself. And they're, they're walking through, and he goes in, the, like, he opens the, the door, and there's a bunch of, like, shit out the front uh, of the, the, the door, and he's like, what is all this? There's, like, pumpkins and stuff that are lying outside, and it's, like, plastic pumpkins, but it's, like, July when he's there. <laughs> what is going on here? But he notices there's, like, a crack in the window, and he looks at it. It's a fucking bullet hole. <laughs> there's a bullet hole in the glass, because it's, like, safety glass from a bank. 
it doesn't shatter. It just took the bullet and just was still there. And he goes up to the, the owner, the re, uh, the receptionist, and he's like, there's a bullet hole in the glass. Is that new? And No, 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 that, that, that pane of glass has been there since I joined. How long ago was that? Oh, about seven years. <laughs> like, what the fuck? <laughs> it's just, this ancient battle has been fought, and this building took a, a hit. And then everyone's like, ah, I can't be bothered getting that fixed. <laughs> yeah, might as well just leave it there. It's fine. <laughs> it, it'll... It'll be fine. It's not like it leaks or rains or anything like that. It'll, there's probably no issue with having a bullet hole in your window. I mean, it's fashionable in America. It's, you, want to do, you want to do good business, you have a bullet hole in the window. It's a, it's a mark of pride. It's, it shows that you've been around through tough times. You've, you've survived the worst. <laughs> oh, or you've been to high school. My bad. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, other than that, the only thing I've really watched, because I've been doing um, a bit of reading, um, but I watched the the Britney Spears documentary, uh, Britney versus Spears, on Netflix. Uh, kind of not gonna lie, very boring. Um, especially because I've seen bits and pieces of this case before. I've heard about it in the news and uh, heard a bit of like reading and commentary on the the proceedings that have gone on so far. There's not a lot that you actually learn from the documentary that's up there on Netflix. Not that great either. It's just not very well made. It's just interviews with. No one of real importance to the the family itself. It's just the people who know the f- people who know the family, or it's people who've had like tangential contact with them. Like there's um there's a Rolling Stone journalist who's had like one interview with Britney and then had to go back like a couple years later as the stuff was going on about the um the conservatorship, and other than like her like weird uh, involvement in getting some documents signed. There's not a lot of information about what's actually going on. And it's uh, unfortunate because the, the interview a few lawyers have actually been involved in the case, but being lawyers, they don't want to be fucking sued. They don't actually yeah. tell you anything. So the, the, the people making document, oh no, you, you got to tell us about this. And he's like, I, I'm not at liberty to say that at all, and I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. And I'm oh, come on. No, I am not speaking about that. I know who will sue me if I do. Don't ask. <laughs> like, oh, there's the there's the professional versus the, the, the amateur going in there. Fucking brilliant. But other than other than just the, the raw entertainment value, the only last for like five minutes of just watching journalists or watching lawyers say, I'm not answering that with a very nervous look in their eyes, there's not a lot to actually gain or glean at the at the documentary. If you've done any like basic reading or basic prep on what that case involves. And I'm I, I, I do mean the most basic level of just Having watched a few like news segments about it, there's not yeah. a lot to actually. I didn't even know there was going to be a documentary. I occasionally see this popping up on Twitter, seeing things like, "Oh, Britney Spears now vows to retire from performance because of conservatorship," and I just think, I I don't have the mental capacity to deal with <laughs> or to look into this thing because it's going to be a shit show. It is honestly just that it comes down to uh, Britney Spears obviously had a rough um, couple of years. With a mental breakdown, the whole shaving the head thing, um, a bad divorce, um, losing custody of her kids, and was basically declared to be not capable of making her own decisions by a judge and put into conservatorship, where her father makes her personal decisions for her, so she can't like say get married, make phone calls, hire legal counsel. She can't do certain things civilly. Um, one of the lawyers in the in the case or in the documentary referred to it as a civic death. Um, where the person is still physically alive, but legally they can do nothing. Um, they have no like standing. They're just mentally not capable of it. 
and she was also put under financial conservatorship where a lawyer was brought in to just oversee all her financial affairs. So she can't even, like, she can't take money at the bank, she can't spend it herself. She has to ask permission to do anything. Like, even just to go, like, take $10 out of her account and go buy a sandwich. She would have to ask for permission to do that. It's an insane so- level of control. But it exists for, there's like a reason it exists. And you can see the, the usefulness of having, say, if you had um, an elderly relative who was in danger of just being fleeced. I mean, that's what the, yeah. the original kind of uh, law was written with that in mind of you have an elderly person who has a carer and you basically want to shield the elderly person if they're mentally vulnerable from the carer or anybody who might try and manipulate them into giving away all their money. You have that yeah. kind of legal protection in place where they can't do anything without your say so as an appointed guardian. But it's a real like it's it's being used to um keep Britney under kind of control, um and prevent her from doing anything that she would actually she might want to do because she was deemed basically too impulsive, um and then keep her under certain wraps and protections. But at the same time, she can still work, and that's one thing they point out is that she's been under this for so long. She's done multiple world tours and done multiple, like, 80 show performances in Las Vegas and done a lot of work and earned millions of dollars, but somehow mm-hmm. she's also still mentally incapable of controlling herself. It's, it's a very strange legal argument, and I really, like, you're watching it, I really hope she's okay, and I really hope this wraps up really quickly, because it doesn't deserve to be in play as long as it has been, and it certainly shouldn't be going on any longer than it already is. As far as I'm aware, they are wrapping it up, though. Um, I think her dad, who is the current conservator, um, Jamie Spears, is um, he's basically put it, put in, throwing in the towel and saying, I can't do this anymore, basically because he knows he can't make any more money due to the attention yeah. that's been getting. He's just basically saying, no, I'm, I'm out. Uh, we're going to try and shut down the conservatorship. It's just a case of paperwork. Yeah, it, it, it sounds very fucked up. I genuinely don't even know what the hell to say to that. Yeah. And we've we've talked off mic about like the the fucked up side of uh, legal documents and family court and stuff like that, and it's just how horrible yep. it can be. And this is just here's everyone kind of myself included just gawking at this uh, absolute spectacle of just nightmarish legal um, proceedings about someone's life, and you kind of feel a bit ghoulish after watching it, and you're like, I don't think I was uh, I wasn't really educated as much as I was hoping to kind of justify it to myself, but mm, don't think it worked. I need some way to segue from that. <laughs> yeah, uh, you said ghoulish. I was just like, I could use that to talk about horror games, but yeah, nah, it's, cool. it's, it's, not, it's not a good way of doing that. Nah, I do it. <laughs> Speaking of ghoulish, ghoulish situation, I'm not going to talk about the lack of good horror games that have been coming out. I genuinely think the last good one we had was uh, obviously we've got Back for Blood coming out soon, or out now out for, for some of us. early access. <laughs> Comes out the 12th of October for the rest of us. Uh, that's probably the best horror game that we're going to get for a while because you know for every game like Returnal which is a pretty good horror game but it's locked on a PS5 so no one's get to, no one's <laughs> getting to fucking play that unless you're lucky enough to have a PS5 no one uh, actually has PS5 Storm everyone knows this I've seen them they exist <laughs> my brother has one that's almost bigger than him <laughs> like, what the fuck my uncle who works from who works for Nintendo has one <laughs> says he's going to bring it round just you wait and see. Yeah, I'll send pictures and everything. No, Ed, Argic has one, or he says he has one. Mm, it's us. I've seen. Yeah, <laughs> no, don't you fucking dare use that word. 
<laughs> we we got rid of Among Us. We buried it. <laughs> it can oh. make up as many different fighting game variants, or it can make up as many different game mode variants as it likes. It should still stay dead and buried. Uh, yeah, for every Resident Evil Eight and Returnal and you know decent horror game that we get, there's always these little you know indie horror games. You know, people that there must be some kind of market for, but I don't get where that market is but yeah, they keep just showing up and it's all these walking simulator games there was one that I watched about a guy who had to cycle home from work and he got attacked by Cthulhu Cthulhu shows up a lot in these indie games but there's one <laughs> that Cthulhu is today. public, public uh, domain is he? yeah he's yeah. public domain so that's why he shows up because no one can stop you from using them and it's not like they're going to try and give it to the uh, Lovecraft estate because well don't want to reach out to those guys uh, and they're racist cats <laughs> Still, always yeah. the kind of most shocking part of Lovecraftian lore. <laughs> Nothing to do with the monsters. <laughs> it's just you going, oh. <laughs> yeah, it's just realizing what that guy called this cat. Yeah, uh, from what I've seen on YouTube, the, the the weird walking simulator game is game scene, it's thriving. And they're making games, shit you not, with names like Choo Choo Charlie, where you play as a train conductor driving his train on a certain line while some kind of weird evil Thomas demon, who's also a train, is following you behind on your track, and they also have kind of weird spider legs. (laughs) I watched the trailer for five seconds and I thought, this can't be the standard of horror game right now. Like We need better horror games. We've got Back for Blood. People are going to like that game. People are going to play the shit out of it. Let that be the game people play more of. Let games like Choo Choo Charlie pass away unnoticed. Can you send me a link to that Choo Choo Charlie? Because I think I may know... There's there's an old animation from the internet and it's literally Master Chief fighting Thomas the Tank Engine and I'm worried that they might have just taken that like asset and just flipped it into a horror game. <laughs> if you can't find it, I will. But I, I'm convinced that I'm going to find it's a bit suspiciously similar to what I think it is. I got Choo Choo Charles on Xbox. Is that what I'm looking yeah, for? Yeah, Choo Choo Charles. That's it. Yeah, Choo Choo Charlie. Choo Choo Charlie would be a better name. Uh, yeah. Note, it is a much better asset than what I thought it was. No, it's fine. It's they're not asset flipping a fucking forty year old meme. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, we we say Back for Blood is a horror game and it is definitely horror themed. But it is yeah. um, having actually started replaying it for out the beta now. I've got early access. Um, it is. Closer to, I'd say, like Call of Duty Zombies. It is much more fast paced and definitely action oriented. Um, mm. Definitely, I'd say uh, one of the things I said about the beta was it needs to be uh, a bit harder. Definitely a bit harder. Um, yeah. But at the same time, um, I think half of the difficulty is due to the bots being thick. <laughs> I mean, thick as pig shit. <laughs> um, I was, uh, maybe we didn't notice it because we were playing with like, uh, f- like people during the beta because there was tons of people on just to check it out. But uh, actually playing with bots on the AI, you're like, oh my god, I've shot you three times, get out of my way. <laughs> I have shit to do. But no, the... I definitely noticed that when I played the beta. I'd shoot them, you just hear whatever the hell, Enrique or whatever the hell is, Emilio, just hey, getting in your way from here, check your fire, I'm like, you run into my fire. <laughs> my favourite one is, I play as the, the soldier, who, like, every time, if you accidentally shoot someone, they go, hey, watch where you're shooting, hey, watch where you park yourself. <laughs> just literally, you fucking move. But they don't, they don't fucking move. Um, but the 
like I'd say it's more action oriented, especially talking about like the more fluid gameplay mechanics, like compared to other things, um, like Left 4 Dead. I'd I'd say yeah. it's more action. I mean, it's still definite horror, but it's you know horror where you've got a fighting chance or more than a fighting chance, as in the machine gun saw. I think I tried to use that, and in, in the beta at one point, and I just got swarmed by the horde and two of those kind of boomer type of zombies and I just got my ass kicked. I'm like, I need something that <laughs> something a bit more heavy. Doesn't take reload. Yeah. I I got the it was RPK, which is the, the Russian version of it. And it is just it it isn't as fast in terms of fire rate, but it is more devastating. And you can just clear the entire enemy floor. Like if you're being charged by the horde, you just point this thing at them vaguely and just pull the trigger. Everything dies. It's, you don't need to reload because you've got plenty of time to just stare at the mounds of corpses you've just made. Much more effective, but a bit clunky. So, I mean, I'm going to play it more. Um, I'll be back with more information the next time I record. But um, yeah, it is. Um, it, it still has fun. Um, it's just a shame that like I was hoping to like have it tweak a bit more in horror. Maybe it will. Maybe the storyline will get a bit darker. Um, they've introduced some new characters that weren't there during the beta because obviously the mm-hmm. only limited access. And there's yeah. some, like, their introduction scenes are kind of terrifying. Um, so there's obviously a bit of horror right there, but obviously the way the gameplay is set up, I don't think it'll give you much to be afraid of. It's very hard to be afraid when you've got, you know, a fully automatic Glock in your hands. Yeah. <laughs> I, I will fuck up the world with a Glock in my hand. Don't you worry about it. But, uh, yeah, other than, like, the... Is is there anything, like, that actually stands out as being reasonably decent in the, in the indie scene at this point for horror? Or is it just for horror games? No. No. Uh, I mean, there were a couple of horror games indie-wise that I would say, you know what, if you've got some time, pick up or try that. But, uh, nah, there's, uh, maybe if there's no light, I'd say that's a pretty good kind of Castlevania horror type of game. But, nah, the indie horror scene is kind of, kind of bad. And I probably got a lot of flack for saying that because probably people out there going, "You piece of shit, this game's out on indie, and you should love that." And, okay, but I'll give the, it a shit that's, the shit that's getting passed off as a horror game right now is kind of woeful. Mm. It's all just walking simulators and you know games like Amnesia. First Amnesia was good for about two hours, then you realise that this is just get to a certain point and then run away from the bad guy, then try and retrace your steps to get to that point again. Not fun. Being helpless in a horror game is not, you know, unique, or it's not, uh, it's not a cool gameplay choice. It's going to make you, you know, properly scared. It's just an annoying gameplay choice. Surely the fun of a horror game is giving you weapons that might not be as effective against certain types of creature, and then putting you in a room or putting you in an area where that creature is fucking everywhere. Hmm. <laughs> You know, your Resident Evils, your Silent Hills, your, uh, your games like uh, Dino Crisis. Like, those type of games. Parasite Eve. <laughs> like, just like they did Dino Crisis as a, as a horror game. Which, I mean, yeah, I mean, if I was being chased by dinosaurs as well, i call it a horror game. But still, <laughs> the idea of Dino Crisis as a horror game is just... I mean, maybe that's the... I don't want to say, like, male fantasy, like the male power fantasy of like, I have my my, my, my trusty gun and I have my, my, my knife and my weapons and I'll figure it out somehow, but maybe that's just like, what we want out of a horror game is a a fighting chance and being tested to see if we're good enough, versus yeah. what maybe someone else sees as being horror, which is being powerless. 
Yeah, but that that to me isn't scary. Being powerless, like, well, I know I'm not going to be able to fight this thing. I just need to run. I just need to get out of its way. That's boring as shit. Right? I reckon it's, about... it's unique in the first time you experience it, but now like it's been yeah, it's fucking everywhere. It's been ten years since maybe that type of game started to surface. Yeah, uh, I mean, like I said, Amnesia, the first type of those games, that was good. Uh, very atmospheric. Very, the creature was pretty, pretty horrific looking. But then, even if you go back and play it now, it just looks kind of like a lump of play doh with a weird mouth. Uh, that is a good example of how a walking simulator type horror game can be made fun. But then everyone started doing it. Like oh, I'm just cycling along on my bike from my weird, you know, restaurant attendant's job. And oh look, Cthulhu's driving a car, and he's coming to get me. Fun. <laughs> that's not good horror. That's just you know, Mario Kart with demons. <laughs> I like the idea of the immortal one, capable of rending a hole through space and time to appear where he wants, driving a Volvo. <laughs> <laughs> he would drive a Volvo as well. <laughs> a little shit. Add <laughs> more annoyance to people's so daily. Like, I will rend your world asunder, but I'm going to do it in a Volvo. <laughs> I, I will render all the thunder and have room for the bikes <laughs> <laughs> and then pick up the kids <laughs> I uh the Cthulhu on a school run is now something I want the Cthulhu school run yeah, <laughs> yeah. he's just kicking all the cools and stuff out of the bikes like get to school go you know eat South Dakota or whatever the hell it is you crazy kids do <laughs> just uh, crazy taxi but with Cthulhu <laughs> Just I'd, ab- I'd buy that. absolute shit tier posting like asset flip Steam games. <laughs> <laughs> one of those was it Greenlight Steam games? Yeah, this is yeah. What are you doing this one? It's crazy taxi, <laughs> but we took out the character of we took out one of the main characters and replaced it with two. <laughs> do you want to do that? Just make a game studio called Fuck You Games. <laughs> we just yeah. make the worst shit, but it's kind of like we put just enough effort in <laughs> to make yeah, people we, think we that... remade Resident Evil Two, but with the Mitchell in mind. <laughs> Speaking of Resident Evil Remix. Uh, oh. Yes, we got I it. I want to talk about it. We, um, so we, we basically, my brother oh. sent me the link to it. Uh, oh. The trailer for a new Resident Evil series to torture Dom for the next 10 oh. years. It's not by Paul W.S. Anderson, so that's that. That's, that's, that's the benefit, don't, right? Don't say his last name. He brings shame on my clan's name. <laughs> Paul W.S. question mark has yep. uh, been kicked out of the series. Paul W.S. name redacted. <laughs> <laughs> Paul W.S. <Shh. laughs> yeah, he doesn't get the last name anymore. He, he's not involved in this one, and uh, apparently nobody's involved from the animated series because that just went sideways real fast. Um, so I, bored. Just <laughs> <laughs> zombies getting shot, and Dom's like, <laughs> it's so passe. <laughs> Within the first five minutes, Leon is popping heads and like, okay, if this sets the tone for the show. It could be quite good if it's, you know, the first couple of episodes are localised to the outbreak at the White House, that could be cool. Then all of a sudden you leave the White House scenario completely and then you're in a boat. You're in a submarine with Leon and a couple other guys talking about some shit I don't give a fuck about. <laughs> we have to get to China. That's not how that would work. <laughs> you wouldn't just I... leave the United States and go to China. It's <laughs> called an international incident and what you'd be mourned about several times by major members of the cast. Thing, please don't go to China. It would be very bad for everyone. <laughs> I thought I, I knew exactly what that series was going to be when uh, Leon shot backwards without looking and took a zombie's head off. I was like, okay, we're not fucking risking anything here. <laughs> Leon just oh, going to be perfect. That's that's standard Leon Kennedy fear. If you watch 
any of the other animated films, Elite, uh, Resident Evil, Damnation, Degeneration, Vendetta, that's just Gun Cutter is to Leon to what Oxygen is to other people. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's the fact that he does not know where that zombie is, and he just aims back and shoots in perfect headshot. It's like, I, he, he focused on three other targets, there's no way he could predict where that zombie was. I just, I watched that, I'm like, nope. Because <laughs> at least, like, Gun Carter and say, like, John Wick, you can see how they put it all in place. And it's always very kind of straightforward. It's just something you couldn't do. Um, maybe you could do it with a, like a thousand, ten thousand hours of training, maybe. But you can't do that shit. John Wick can, and it gives it a little bit of believability. I'm like, nah, fuck this shit. He, <laughs> he cheated. <laughs> there's, there's no other way around it. He put cheat mode on. I was like, fuck this. Headshots. But um, they, they're deciding to remake Resident Evil, starting from the initial kind of infection of Raccoon City. Um, I think there's going to be plenty of reference to the video game based on going into the old manor. Uh, yeah, there, I think from what I've seen, they're doing a kind of blend of Resident Evil 1 and Resident Evil 2's story. And I think I'm going to reserve judgment wait to see how that plays out because it looks like at some point Player and Leon are going to show up in the mansion, which never happens. Right. I am seeing like the trailer itself. Kind of yeah. impressed with the commitment to rubber face masks. Um, obviously, kind of have to do that, but yeah. everything does look a bit kind of cheesy, which I'm okay with. You know, I'm not against a bit of cheese. Um, but the it was the inclusion of what I'd say are the the weirdo freak characters that are more prevalent in the later part of the series, like uh, seven and eight, where it's all about kind of weird locals that maybe umbrellas had a hand in, like a bit of an experimentation thing before they get to zombies, and yeah. just the kind of freaks and weirdos that show up through that also merged with the zombies happening at the same time in Raccoon City. And I'm like, hmm, interesting. Because they go to like this weird orphanage or whatever, and there's all these like weird, like bald kids, and you're like, uh-oh, what are all oh, these that, guys going to do? Uh, that's in the story, too. Uh, the orphanage is basically, that was a testing ground for one of the new viruses. I think they were testing the G-virus on children there, because, well, they're orphans, they don't have any parents, no one's going to miss them. <laughs> and uh, once you go through the orphanage, you end up, or after you go to the orphanage, you end up going into the sewers underneath Raccoon City as both Claire and Leon, and you fight these big, giant, mutated, what I think they call uh, just G creatures. And those are basically the children from the orphanage. So, I think you talked about this in uh, part of the RE2 like remake, uh, remake thing, the review. Yeah, like, yeah you mentioned like, G monsters and orphanages and stuff like that, yeah. yeah. I think I remember that. I, I I don't want to. If they go down that route, that would be pretty cool, and it would explain to where a lot of the budget went because <laughs> those infected are pretty fucking big. It did not go to that tyrant thing at the end of the trailer. I didn't see the tyrant. I was I was too busy looking at two characters in particular and just thinking, you don't look anything like you should. Right? <laughs> Jill Valentine. I get why they updated her costume. It is a bit weird, right? The giant shoulder pads. The berry. Okay, I get why they update that. Uh, the guy that's playing Chris Redfield looks a shit ton like the original RE1 Chris Redfield. And if he needs to pack on some. I, th- I think he'd be the actor would be more than prepared to pack on some muscle to do RE5 Chris if it comes to that, if this takes off. Uh, I've not seen Barry Burton yet, but the, the main cast all look kind of like they should, with the exception of Leon, who doesn't even fucking look like Leon. He looks like some kind of. Guy cosplaying Leon and uh, Wesker. 
I don't care if it's meant to be a more realistic take on Resident Evil. Wesker is clearly a fan of the Blues Brothers and will wear his sunglasses at night. <laughs> and also... Not wearing sunglasses, not Wesker. Why are you trying to make a realistic Resident Evil? That's not what those things are. <laughs> you've, you've just said, I just want, like, a glue and cheese sandwich. Like, no, those don't go together. You can pick one or the other. <laughs> yeah. You can eat glue <laughs> like a true Resident Evil fan, or you can eat cheese, okay? That's the only two options you have. <laughs> it was... I, 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 I assume it's a tyrant. I think it is. It's the weird thing with, like, the three eyes. There's one in the middle of the chest and one on each shoulder. And that's what kind of makes me think tyrant. But I, I described it as like a weird monster, like made out of like a like a see through bag, and then a bunch of spaghetti. And I can't take that visual out of my head. And I watched the trailer a couple times, now and I'm like, this is weird, and not in a good way, not in like the the way it should be. It doesn't feel threatening. I feel like I could take it down with a needle, you know, just poking out, watching off hole, and then let all the spaghetti fill out of it. I don't know what it is, but I think it's. I think they went for like a kind of muscular thing, but it didn't quite look right in the light that they've got. It's too shiny. Yeah, it looks a bit... Uh, I've actually just pulled up a picture of it here. And I don't know what the hell that's meant to be. I think it might be... I think it might be uh, Birkin from RE2, who's the final boss slash one of the pursuer uh, enemies that you fight in RE2. And if that's the case and that's meant to be Birkin, it looks... Yeah, it doesn't look anything like him. <laughs> also, it does look a bit too clean. It doesn't look as nasty and gnarly as it should. Yeah, I mean, the, the tyrants are basically like a reformed corpse. You know, it's, it's a human yeah. body that's just went absolutely like, growth and development to like the nth degree. Um, like ca- like a massive cancer tumor growing in like in like in a time lapse, but happening in real time. And it's just yeah. supposed to look gory and messy, and you know, skin has burst to make way for this new flesh. Yeah. And I'm just looking at it going, no, you're too shiny. I don't like it. Yeah, I mean, the way to think of a tyrant is, is literally that. It's literally a human, uh, an adolescent body, like a 17 to 18 year old male body that's just like, bursting and growing with all this excess genetic material. So, yeah, it needs to look bloody. Not. To me, it looks a bit PlayStation 2 graphic. <laughs> Which is never good to hear in 2021. <laughs> It yeah. reminds me of a PS2 game. Uh-oh. <laughs> I think maybe if you're making like a monkey ball game, other than that, not a good idea. Actually. It was actually the same kind of gripe I had with the Lisa Trevor that you see in the mansion, which is that weird monster with the, the shackled hands and the nightdress. It looks quite clearly like it's a woman in a mask. But speaking of horrific movie video game properties... We've we we didn't talk about this because we missed the announcement for this, the motherfucking Mario movie. Oh shit! Yeah, yeah. This is uh, an interesting one. Um. So I first of all thought this was a live action movie. That's my initial outrage was based on it being live action. Um, and it's then it's uh, basically the cast was released and everyone said their the reaction to it. I think we posted about it on Twitter. Um, Chris Pratt as Mario, Charlie Day as Luigi, uh, Jack Black as Bowser. Seth Rogen as Donkey Kong, Keegan-Michael Key as Toad, uh, Fred Armiston as Cranky Kong, uh, Kevin-Michael Richardson as Kamek, and then Chris Martinet as a voice, but it's not listed, but I mean, he's original Mario, so we'll see who he's going to show up as. And then uh, Sebastian Maniscalco, Maniscalco as Spike. Uh, Maniscalco. Yeah. And then Anna Taylor-Joy as Princess Peach. Now, don't know Anna Taylor-Joy, I assume she's brought in to be posh in English. 
Um, I think she's American. Doesn't mean she can't be posh in English. The yeah. um, Key Michael Key as Toad. That is going to be interesting and weird. I'm pretty sure he'll be fine. <laughs> Making weird screechy noises. He's pretty sure that's going to save the movie for to be honest. Uh, Him Ke- and uh, Seth Rogen as Donkey Kong. Yeah, Kevin Michael Richardson as a, a voice. That's to be expected. It's, 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 a, it's a project with voice acting. Of course he's in there. Um, Seth Rogen as Donkey Kong. I don't like Seth Rogen that much, but fuck it, why not? <laughs> uh, they just throw it in there. Yeah. Uh, Jack Black as Bowser. I, I, I don't get that one. But, I mean, I guess they have a plan. I'd like to hope they have a plan. Um, so much of this this film, just I'm not going to say any uh, spoilers because I get that you're running through the cast just now, but so much of this film just strikes me as, yeah, throw him in there. What, we've got Fred Armisen? Yeah, g- give him a role as well. Fuck it, why not? <laughs> uh, well, they're available. Yeah, let's let's make them Waluigi or something. Why not? Yeah, and you've got Charlie Day as Luigi. I, I, with the initial idea of that being the voice cast, or it being like a live-action thing with Charlie Day as Luigi, made me absolutely fucking irate. <laughs> like, he's so small. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> but having him do the voice, I, I guess, like maybe they have a, a coaching thing for him to be like that, but I don't know. I don't even know what you make the dialogue in a Mario movie about, though. Other than, we gotta go save the princess. Like, what are we doing? Uh, but Chris Pratt as Mario is a voice. Like, that is the least faith I have in any casting I've ever seen. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> as I said, when we were talking about it, genuinely, they should have at least tried to get, you know, an Italian-American actor. Like, get Joey Diaz. <laughs> he's Cuban for example <laughs> he plays a lot of Italian Americans but he's Cuban yeah he's Cuban but, if uh, James Gandolfini was still alive I guarantee that motherfucker would have been Mario get Danny DeVito Just... nah Danny DeVito Danny DeVito should have been Bowser <laughs> I think Danny DeVito should have been Bowser Danny DeVito should just be somewhere in this project it's frankly insulting that he's not yeah have you noticed something recently whenever there's a video game movie comes out the initial reaction always should be Danny DeVito should be that. <laughs> Detective Pikachu came out. Danny DeVito should be Detective Pikachu. Why? I don't know. It's fucking funny. <laughs> Why? It makes me laugh. Um, but my, as much as I have concern about the, the casting of this, um, my key concern is the the company that's making it. Do you know who it is? Illumination? Yes. Illumination Entertainment, who are responsible for the Minions movies, uh, grew uh, like the Despicable Me franchise, and then the Secret Life of Pets. Now, I enjoy the Minions. I think it's funny as fuck. I just, it's just such a total shit show. <laughs> it's, it's so weird that they have these weird little yellow pill guys that just go around saying complete gibberish and smacking each other. I find that funny. I'm an idiot. That's fine. But yeah. the idea that you'd hand over one of the biggest entertainment franchises, like in uh, Mario, and kind of the Mario name, and then you give it to them, kind of makes me worried. I don't know what Nintendo's plan is. I don't know what their involvement's going to be. I don't know if they're going to be hands-on, kind of helping make decisions along the way, or if they're just going to come along and have, like, final say on whatever Illumination makes. I don't know what the workflow's going to be, but I'd be keeping a tight eye on this if I was Nintendo, because this could just get dumb. Hmm. And I think if you want to make something that celebrates the Mario world, and I think they might, based on them having uh, Charles Martinet in there, or unless, I mean, the thing is, the casting list strikes me as stunt casting, which is kind yeah, of frustrating. There's a lot of that going about. I mean, it's anything to do with just, like, an audio performance. It can, you know, 
if you if you're a reasonably well paid Hollywood actor, you can probably afford a recording studio in your house and just have someone Skype the direction over to you. But yeah, I like if that if that's your stunt casting along with the rest of the stunt cast, it's kind of like, are Nintendo actually going to give that much of a shit about this? Because there's no. I, way, I, like, I don't think Nintendo are just going to do this for the sake of doing it. I think they went with Illumination just for... Because Illumination, their animation, is pretty clean. It's pretty good, high-quality animation. Uh, the only problem is, like you said, it will have the potential to just descend very quickly into a kind of Minions type of cheesy comedy. Yeah, because when it comes to the writers, the only person there is Matthew Fogel, like one of the main Illumination writers, um, like the guys behind... Um, Minions, uh, The Rise of Gru, The Lego Movie 2, a couple of other writing credits, but beyond that, it is like, just him and then Shigeru Miyamoto is credited for characters which means he's not actually writing the movie, he just made the characters Yeah, and that's just kind of like that honorary kind of tip of the cap uh, credit that a lot of these guys get, you know, like Stephen King movies, Stephen King's not actually a writer, he just made the character of you know, whoever's in the movie that's been made uh, a little worrying. Um, as it, just from an outset, it's not till uh, pre-production at the stage right now. Expected December twenty first, twenty twenty two. They've got a year to make it work, I guess, and it's probably already like well into pre-production. But yeah, not exactly having a lot of faith in this one. No, it's a, uh, it's going to be a live action movie. Uh, live action uh, video game movie and those don't typically do well uh, Take to Pikachu did okay but that was because it was more it was more, this is the first time you've seen live action yeah. Pokemon and everyone flocked to see that. Sonic the Hedgehog worked because they actually got someone that suited Sonic's personality as opposed to just you know you know who's going to be pretty good to voice Sonic let's get Kevin Hart, that'll be fun <laughs> Yeah, right. we spoke about this uh, not long after it dropped because you, I messaged you Fairly fucking confused, just saying. Have you seen this? And uh, I said, "Why? Not? Like, give it, a, give it a month or two, and they're going to announce a Legend of Zelda movie, and it's going to be, uh, let's make Bilbar Ganondorf, let's make Dwayne the Rock Johnson Impa, because why the fuck not? We'll make Impa a dude now, <laughs> and we'll make Zelda uh, Anna Kendrick. Why not? And Link will be voiced by uh, Camille Nanjiani. Like, why? Because they're they're all nerds. Why not? Shut up! We're making this film. Get on with it. We're making the we make the money. We make the films. We want to make more money. Shut up and get on with it. Buy our shit, nerd. Yeah, and it's you can imagine that's just like, sir, we have a we have a Kevin Hart on the phone. He wants to be in this movie. Oh shit, we run out of roles. Uh, what's this for? Legend of Zelda? Does the horse speak? Okay, we'll make him the horse. <laughs> it's it's just a question of um, like these big video game franchises are. I don't know if they're trying to make movies to get to the prestige level of, say, a Marvel film, or DC film, if you want to call that prestige. But I... How dare you? <laughs> like, we've both seen what we've seen, alright? Um, yeah. We, like, are they making movies to get that level of prestige, or are they just cashing out? Because it makes a whole lot of money. Yeah, I think it's just cashing in, because it's going to... People are going to go and see it. And I get doing that with stuff that's maybe not as... Like, for example, with Detective Pikachu. You're not making a film about Ash, Ketchum, and uh, the like actual the original Pikachu. You're making it about yeah. an offshoot Pikachu that's a bit weird. 
in the Pokemon yeah, you're making world. it based off a video game that came out well after the original games. Yeah, that's that's a safe franchise. That's a safe franchise bet. Isn't it might not spin off into anything. You can make it spin off if you want to. But if it fails, oh, we tried something with a weird side project. We thought it'd work with the storyline, and actually, I kind of are they doing a second one? I don't think so. Because if they're not, I, I kind of admire the restraint in that. I don't think they're doing another Pikachu film, but I think they're probably going to do another live-action Pokemon. Yeah. They realised that one of the biggest draws of that film was the fact that they could make fairly realistic-looking giant Pokemon. Yeah. So maybe they'll come back to it. I don't know. But like the the idea that you would just get one of those and just leave it is great. I like that. But I I just I wonder if they're like the idea of cashing out a small portion of the Pokemon franchise makes sense. And then you have someone saying, "No, let's put Mario on the line." And see how much money we get, you know. Let's you know putting Sonic on the line was kind of a big risk, but that Sonic fan base is pretty rabid. So I reckon yeah. you'd probably make at least your money back if you budget it right. And then the fact that they listen to those fans and get a lot of hype for that. So yeah, I um I I wonder, are we you know, is it worth it to cash in Mario? Because I'd I'd have expected at least with you know I mean, did they actually manage to get to do the the whole video game stuff at the Tokyo Olympics? I don't know. Uh, I didn't keep track of it. Because yeah, uh, the original plan was to have like Mario there. I mean, did the Japanese Prime Minister not appear as fucking Mario to take the Olympic torch at the end of 2016? <laughs> um, I think he did. I need to check that. But like, maybe he did. Um, I, I, I'd wonder if you know if it had been a couple of years back, would they have done this move? Would they have cashed out the chips then before the Olympics? But yeah, I um, I, I, just, I just think that Mario is now got that much universal appeal and they've been wanting to make a Mario movie since the original Bob Hoskins uh, John Leguizamo movie that came out in the late 80s, very early 90s <laughs> I still want to watch that movie by the way Oh, it's, it's a train wreck uh, <laughs> That's why I want to watch Goombas it <laughs> are all, The Goombas are not tiny little brown mushroom dudes they're these giant 6-7 foot tall dinosaurs with tiny heads <laughs> and a uh, Ennis Hopper as Bowser. Uh, I think he calls himself King Cooper, though. He doesn't call himself Bowser. Yeah, they, uh, they couldn't get rights to that name. <laughs> yeah, but then again, that film is legendary for coming up with Mario's last name. I shit you not, they gave him the last name Mario. <laughs> Mario, Mario. And oh. it's explained by John Leguizamo because they have to give their names, they have to give their first and last names when they're in a police station. And he goes, no lady, you're not listening to me. His name is Mario, but his last name's also Mario. So he's Mario Mario, and I'm Luigi Mario. And at that point, you're just thinking, okay, we're in for a, we're in for oh a good time. Here, here we go. <laughs> and the acid trip begins. <laughs> and then Hoskins as Mario was just, it was, it was great. It, it was a work of art. <laughs> the Mario movie's going to come out, and it's going to... I mean, I think I'll probably go and see it. Same with the Resident Evil film. Just Because my expectation for Resident Evil Welcome to Raccoon City is so low. Like with, when you play, it was the same with Resident Evil 7 after Resident Evil 6, because Resident Evil 6 was a pile of garbage. It was not a good film and not a good game. It was good to play co-op like most Resident Evil games are, but that made RE7 all the better, right? So then my my opinion on Welcome to Raccoon City, pretty low as it is, because there looks to be a few problems with that, so. I, I like the maybe idea it'll be showing great. Up. Maybe it'll confirm my low opinions. I like the idea of you showing up and being like, my expectations were low, but holy fuck. 
It's just dumb crying for half an hour. <laughs> so Dom High was like, <laughs> well, they had, they had they had some good things going in a minute, but then they just fucked all of them. Like, why why did Leon you know mute it into Ryu from Street Fighter? That didn't need to happen. <laughs> why is Kevin Hart there? <laughs> why is Kevin Hart there? Why does Kevin Hart moan when he fires a gun? Why is that supposed to be funny? <laughs> Sounds like he nuts every time he fires his gun. <laughs> But the reason I'm ragging on Kevin Hart so much is because every time I seem to think, every time I see a new project, Kevin Hart's in there somewhere, right? Because it was Borderlands. I was like, okay, they've announced uh, Jamie Lee Curtis is going to be uh, Tannis. I'm like, that's fucking amazing, right? Uh, Galadriel, what's her name? No, you're she right. Played it's, Hell. it's just Galadriel. Uh, she played Hell, a Hella in Thor Ragnarok. It's Kate Blanchett. Yeah. She's playing. Uh, the Siren from Borderlands 1. Like, Great, this is going to be fantastic. Like, and Kevin Hart is Roland. I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> who, who did this? You had the, the perfect casting for Roland from Borderlands 1 is the guy that played M'Baku from Black Panther. He looks like Roland from the first game, yet you've got tiny wee Kevin Hart. Who's shorter than Jamie Lee Curtis. Uh, again, it's just that stunt casting. Like it's, it's just down yeah. to the idea that, you know, if you put a name on the poster, it sells tickets. And Jack Kevin... Black's in that shit as well. <laughs> Claptrap. Who... Yeah, Jack Black is Claptrap. It's going to be pretty hermit. Like, you got to nail every one of those jokes for before I walk out that cinema because it is going to be hard to make. Like, that character is supposed to be annoying, but I can't imagine how annoying Jack Black could be if he tried to be annoying. Because that's, like, written into the character's DNA for Claptrap. But I, I think, like, on top of just casting someone to be deliberately annoying when they already are kind of hit and miss is a bit odd like the stunt casting of like these franchises is very strange because they're obviously trying to ape the success of the marvel stuff because it is this huge blockbuster entertainment franchise that has racked up billions of dollars for the company that made it they want that same success but it's weird that i don't think they understand that they're not like when they cast those people or when they cast those characters it was very rarely stunt casting like maybe like nobody who is that big or nobody that's like raised those characters up to that level was like an instant hit whenever they made something maybe yeah. Scarlett Johansson you could maybe argue that she was a bit more like oh we've picked her because she's like perfect for the role and will get like eyes on the screen but yeah. a push I think you could you could say yeah like you said Scarlett Johansson and maybe Samuel L. Jackson but yeah and even then when they were originally cast they were cast as like bit characters you know, um, it was it was the novelty of seeing Samuel L. Jackson as Nick Fury was a draw in itself, and yeah, I think they don't understand that those characters raising or those actors raising that character up to the level they did made them a household name. And yeah. now, yes, if you were to cast Robert Downey Jr. as something, it is stunt casting, and it has failed. See, uh, Doctor Doolittle, and yeah, that I, film was weird, man. <laughs> don't like. Don't just throw names in there because the famous name will get people in the cinema. Like, make someone famous through a great performance. Make something different, unique. And I think stunt casting and just grabbing IPs and trying to make movie, like forcing a movie out of the already made, like already set clay of an existing IP, isn't going to work every single time. And I'm worried that video games will, or video game movies become the casualty of that. It's a shame because you, if you cast them correctly, a video game movie could be an excellent movie. To- to actually sit through because if you take even just taking a Mario film that's taken 
obviously you don't want the, the film itself to take itself too seriously. You want it to be funny, but when you take the casting seriously and you get a proper Mario and Luigi uh, combination, like if you got, I, I can't think of any you know Italian American actors right now, but if you get the right pair, comedic pair, half the battle's done. Yeah, get, get the right characters in there. To me, there's been a massive mix-up with most of the, the cast in that. If you've got Kevin Michael Richardson in your cast and Bowser's in there, why the fuck is he not Bowser? Right? <laughs> why the fuck is Fred Armisen, who talk and trade, as being lanky and awkward? Right? Why is he not Luigi? Because I'd buy Jack Black more as Mario than I do as Bowser. <laughs> Make Chris Pratt Donkey Kong and have Seth Rogen just, you know, have him be someone else, right? Keegan Michael Key's Toad is actually pretty fucking genius because Toad is basically just this high pitched, screechy character, and yeah. Keegan Michael Key can hit that pitch every time. But to me, there's just a lot of they have good actors, really good actors, but they're all just in the wrong roles. The only one that I can kind of agree with is uh, uh, I don't know if it's Anya or Anya uh, Taylor Joy. I'd say uh, Anya. Anya Anya, who cares? Uh, I mean, probably from what I've seen, she's one of the biggest stars on the planet right now. From that, she was in that uh, was it uh, Queen's Gambit that everyone was watching during lockdown, and she was in uh, <laughs> she's in an Edgar Wright movie called Last Night in Soho that I still need to watch. Hmm. But yeah, uh, she was in what was the name of that M Night Shyamalan film? Unbreakable. Okay. In class, she was in, she was in those. Uh, maybe not Unbreakable because that was out. That came out years ago, but she was in the follow-ups, Glass and Split. Uh, just looking at her, like she's got the blonde hair, she and she can probably do that kind of accent fairly well. So, um, no grievances there. But there's just too much of Chris Pratt's a huge star. Let's get him in the role. It's stunt casting, like you said. So. Yeah, but I think one thing I've noticed the more I think about it, where is the like this? This movie should be hiring actors that are reasonably well known but also good for the role. I don't think there's that much of like a, not quite a B-tier movie, but like an upcoming movie thing going on at the moment where you could just have that, like you don't have that developing ground of like the middle tier movies. Like it's all independent stuff, like super weird, slightly indie stuff where it's like like a small studio behind it. Whereas that kind of middle tier of movies that like would make actors and people capable of making these roles work uh, because it just goes straight from like, Indie stuff or semi-indie stuff, all the way straight to like Marvel blockbusters. I don't think I see enough movies in the middle ground that would justify, like, or that could be a a, a kind of a, a growing chamber for actors that would perfectly fit, say, a Mario movie. I don't see that yeah. anymore. Nah, even at that, if you were making, I mean, one of the successes of the Marvel films is taking relatively unknown actors or relatively uh, unused actors. Cause Mark Ruffalo wasn't as big a movie star as he is now. Robert Downey Jr. Robert Downey Jr., yeah, it was his big, his big comeback. Uh, John Favreau kind of remade himself through Happy in directing the films. Tom Holland. Spider-Man was his first big movie role mm -hmm. uh, where he was the lead. So maybe it would have been in Nintendo's best interest to go, you know what? Let's take, you know, some relatively unknown, like, let's you know, we need someone funny. Let's find an Italian American comedian and make him Mario. Let's find, let's take, you know, 
who was the let's take Ron Funches and make him a uh, Luigi. Why? Why the fuck not? The guy can be awkward and he can be quite weird about it. Let's just make him Luigi. Take people that aren't as well known, but have the capacity to play the character well, and give them the role instead of you know going to Chris Pratt or Charlie Day and giving them probably fifteen million dollars each to play these roles. The I think I can tell you why that didn't happen, and it's because that takes balls. It takes yeah. some absolute stones to do that type of thing and say, hey, we're going to risk a massive international franchise on uh, no-name but high-talent people. And then, yeah. like, I think, I'm pretty sure I'm right in saying that Nintendo stuff, for example, the older Mario movie, has been so badly handled in the past, they're kind of scared, and they say, look, yeah. give us a safe bet, put a bunch of stars in it, it'll cost more, but it'll make more. It'll make back a bit of money, and we don't have to go and try and make some great film, we can just make a competent film and then we get to go home with a stack a stack of cash you know i think that's what they kind of settled for when planning yeah. the movie so yeah but even at that nintendo could make a, a huge huge loss in this film and still operate all right for the next few next uh or for the remainder of the year they've made so much fucking money just in general over the past five years between the new metroid coming out that sold out within a week Physically could not get the special edition in uh, the UK or America after a week of it being available for pre-order. Uh, games like Smash Bros. are still selling new and old systems. Games like uh, Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild are still selling well. Nintendo could take a huge loss in this. so That's why it confuses me more that they weren't willing to just, you know, if it fails for us, we're not going to... If, if it fails for us, we just put the dream of having a Nintendo-based film franchise to bed. We still focus on the games. It's not going to cost as much, so let's do more risky shit. Instead, it's like, no, let's, you know, we're, we're doing well financially. Let's guarantee that this is going to be a financial success to kickstart their movies, because you know they're going to want to do more. Yeah, you don't build up a roster of the world's biggest IPs, or world's biggest gaming IPs, and not try and at least manipulate it a little bit. And before we get the, the Smash Bros. connected universe where at the end of the Super Mario Bros. movie, Sonic and Detective Pikachu appear and say, Mario, I want to talk to you about the Smash Bros. And <laughs> well, I mean, they already have the, the original kind of symbol of that, which is just the letter with the Smash Bros. seal on it. Like, yeah. you just have one of those hidden in the background of a bunch of different movies, and everybody goes, oh my god, the Smash Bros. extended universe is being built right for us! And everybody just kind of busts a fat nut. <laughs> I don't know how that would work because the main bad guy in the Smash Bros. games is a giant hand. I mean, you just like say, "Hey, we need help." There's a giant cosmic hand. <laughs> we have no fucking clue. I'm I'm a Pikachu. He's a hedgehog. <laughs> help us, Mario, please. <laughs> There's a giant hand. You at least have hands. <laughs> right, you're the only one with real working hands. Maybe hit it with a pipe wrench. I don't know. Aren't you a plumber? Fuck. <laughs> yeah, we've seen you shoot fire at your hands. Do that. <laughs> Do that to the giant cosmic hand. I also, by the way, yeah. had no idea that a giant hand was the villain of the Smash Bros. universe. I assumed they yep. were just fighting for fun. Everyone's like, it, it'd be funny to beat the shit out of you. And when they first started trying to introduce some kind of story into Smash Bros., uh, Master Hand and uh, his, sorry, the other villain was uh, called Crazy Hand. And Master Hand and Crazy Hand was meant to be, like, Smash Bros. was a giant toy chest, and in those toy chests was all your different favorite Nintendo characters, so there was like Mario, Luigi, Samus, Link, okay. and Master Hand and Crazy Hand was to represent that you're playing with them. And then in Super Smash Bros. Brawl, 
they kind of developed on that further by saying that Master Hand and Crazy Hand were some kind of cosmic entities that were ripping Nintendo franchises out of other uh, their <laughs> their existences and making them fight. I like that they went and then too they far. Developed that. that further in subsequent games, and then it just took on a mind of its own. <laughs> it's just. I, I was really hoping at some point we'd reveal that Master Hand and uh, Crazy Hand are actually on the same body. I was like, oh my god, we can't believe it. And I'm like, eh, it's pretty pretty reasonable plot twist. <laughs> yeah. it's just, just, I like it, it goes too far. It, just, it goes from like, okay, there's hands controlling us, and we're re- really the toys, but we're sentient. It's kind of like Toy Story, but they have to figure out if they can fight back or not. And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh no, now they're ripping apart space-time to bring other new shit into the game to explain why new characters are joining all the time, rather yeah. than just saying, fuck it, it's a fighting game. <laughs> Then again, fighting game story, stories can either be done really, really well, vis-a-vis you know, Injustice 2, which had a very good comic book writer pen story, or they can be really, really bad, vis-a-vis Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite, where it can literally be all the main characters constantly reiterate the other characters' names. I'll give you an example. Uh, Dante meets Rocket Raccoon, right? right. just called Rocket in the game. And a, instead of, you know, making something funny, like Rocket Raccoon lands and says, hey, trench coat, can I borrow a couple of guns or something like that? He pretty much lands and says, hey, Dante, can the ladies come out to play? And without saying, yeah, sure, here they are. He goes, for you, Rocket, anything. And that continues throughout the whole thing. <laughs> hey, there's a point where Ryu meets Iron Man. He goes, Iron Man, I didn't expect you to be here. It was like something out of like, 60s superhero shows. You'd at least expect something along the lines of like, "What are you? Like, who are you? Like, at least a kind of like yeah. explanation of like, who the fuck are you? And it doesn't matter. I'm going to beat the shit out of you. <laughs> yeah. Well, and just oh, oh, when, it's Iron uh, Man, my my friend who shows up every Tuesday at this time. Yeah. <laughs> like, why do you know each other? Yeah, there's a point where the main bad guy gets shot by Chris Redfield, and instead of just uh, the main bad guy is an amalgamation of a Mega Man X villain called Sigma and Ultron, Ultron Sigma. Right. Uh, Chris Redfield shoots him in the back of the head. Obviously, it does nothing because it's a nine millimeter against fucking Ultron. Uh, and instead of turning around and going, "Oh, pathetic human" or something like that, he just goes, "Commander Redfield." Is that really all you have to say? I'm like, you're taking the whole villain monologue thing too seriously. <laughs> but right, getting back to the original point, uh, fighting game stories can get a bit weird, and I think Nintendo ran with that with Smash Bros. Just like. It's all some kid's imagination, and he's imagining light and dark, and then that kind of spiraled into Smash uh, Ultimate, where it was some cosmic war between the light and the dark that the Nintendo characters got involved in. Speaking of characters involved in (laughs) Smash Bros. Oh, yeah. Uh, We we finally got the the final Smash Bros. character, and it wasn't Waluigi. (sighs) Absolutely devastated. Fundamentally disappointed and, frankly, embarrassed by Nintendo's decision, but please go on. Who is it? It was Sora from the Kingdom Hearts series, and I thought I thought it actually did kind of make a lot of sense, because Sora was probably one of the biggest crossover characters of all time, because he brought together Square Enix, you know, Final Fantasy, Final Fantasy VII characters, Final Fantasy VIII characters, and all the villains and stuff that accompany with that, and it brought together Disney properties, and Disney are notoriously hesitant when it comes to crossover, to the point where apparently they were willing to pull the plug at any point if any of the Kingdom Hearts games under uh, underperformed. And I think they're even still considering that. Hmm. I know there are still Kingdom Hearts games that are getting pumped out 
fairly frequently. And uh, yeah, so Sora was a fairly big crossover character, and having him appear as the final character in the DLC roster, a lot of people were saying shit like, oh, it's so life-affirming, now Mario is standing next to Sora and Link and Sephiroth and Cloud. I'm like, I didn't think it anywhere, I didn't think it was that deep, I just thought it was pretty fucking cool that I'm now going to be able to fight Solid Snake as Sora. I'm going to be able to fight uh, Ganondorf as Sora, and I thought that was A, fucking awesome, and B, something that only a game like Smash Bros. could deliver, because You've you've heard of the meme like, oh, you thought Endgame was the most ambitious crossover. Yeah. And in the back of my head, the most ambitious crossover of all time and one that will never be repeated is Super Smash Bros. Ultimate because, like I said, Solid Snake's in the game, Cloud's in the game, Sephiroth, eh, Kazuya from Tekken, Terry Bogard, and I think most impressively Sora because Sora is in in terms of rights and uh, ownership is a logistical nightmare. Because Sora was made by Square Enix, but put into a Disney co-owned property, and Disney are notoriously, notoriously horrendous for safeguarding their properties, which to the point where uh, Sora was actually going to be put into a Final Fantasy fighting game called Dissidia. But Disney said, no, we don't want any of our characters showing up in fighting games. Which, you know, it didn't last eventually long, but... came back. To- it didn't last very long, but yeah, there was three different... Uh, the Cydia games that came out on the PSP and the PS4 and every time Disney just said no nope, we're not going to let Sora if Sora appears in one of our games we're not going to let him loose in another game where it shows him getting the shit kicked out of him because then there might be a potential for other Disney based characters to come into the game so they've been you know fairly hesitant to let Sora go and play in the sandbox with other kids but he, he made it into Smash so that only just proves that Sakurai is a genius <laughs> and quite frankly should be given some kind of you know, knighthood in Japan. Whatever the equivalent of a knighthood is in Japan, give it to that man because he's nothing short of a of a genius. I uh, I want. Do you know? Like, obviously, we've seen some of his like teaser trailer. I'm guessing. Yeah. Um, during that when the Nintendo thing, but like, have they shown his moves or anything like that? Oh yeah, uh, they've shown of some of his moves. He's he's kind of a a typical uh, sword user character. There's his main. He's got his sort of high, uh, his high speed moves that are going to catch off guard. He's got a bit of magic, so there's a, there's a bit of uniqueness to him. Uh, but it basically, he's your fairly standard sword using character, which is a bit of a shame. But there's not a whole hell of a lot you can do with Sora unless you want to bring in his party members, which you know are Donald <laughs> and Goofy and Nintendo. Aren't going to let that happen. Yeah, not Nintendo, Disney aren't going to let that happen. Isn't it okay, we give you one toy, you're allowed one toy from the store, you've chosen your one yeah. toy, there will be no further toys. Yeah, you will get no more toys from us, to the point where in, in Sora's stage, uh, it transitions, and I think they call them Stations of the Heart or something in the original game, I can't remember, it's been a while since I played Kingdom Hearts, but basically when they, there's these kind of stages that show these giant murals of the character, I'll take Sora's one for example, there's Sora and then there's all the other characters that are connected to him, like Donald, Goofy, Riku and Kairi and shit like that. Uh, that when you play in Sora's stage, it gets to a certain point where I think both characters are low on health, or one of the characters is low on health, and the state the battle might finish quickly. There's a stage transition that shows these giant murals, and uh, and on Sora's one, they've replaced Donald and Goofy's pictures because Disney won't let them use them, and that's the same with every other mural that you see that has a Kingdom Heart, that has a Disney character involved in it. <laughs> and I heard uh, that in a interview. 
it said it was even a battle to get them to use the keychain on the end of Sora's keyblade because that has a Mickey head on it. But then apparently Sakurai managed to convince him, like, no, 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 it's integral to his weapon. It would look weird without it. People would kick up if it wasn't there. You know, we'll just leave it as is. And to be fair, Sakurai deserves a pat in the back, just in general, for making Smash Bros the game that it is, because it's going to be a game that even if there are subsequent versions of Smash Bros that come out, people are still going to be going back to Smash Ultimate. I know for a fact that I will be, because it's unprecedented in, in terms of video game crossover. Yeah. I was kind of hoping that the, at least let maybe like one cameo for Disney characters through that franchise or through Sora. I mean, I'm yeah. hoping that like his ultimate attack would be that just like Mickey pops out of Portal and just blasts everyone with money off the stage. Just yeah. fucking Kimmy just... has them with money. X everybody with $5 bills. <laughs> yeah, they get hit with a $5 bill and they just jump off the edge of the cliff like, hey, what are you going to do? <laughs> the mouse flips no, you the bird. What it should have been was Sora brings out the keyblade, he unlocks the door, Mickey comes out, just clicks his fingers and the Disney snipers just arrest everybody. <laughs> it's just, I just like crosshairs appear on the screen to run <laughs> as fast yeah. as you can. Doesn't, uh, yeah, Mickey just clips his fingers every like second. <laughs> That's when the shots go off, you try and guess which one's you. <laughs> Mickey should appear as a boss fight. <laughs> the, the final, the true boss of Smash Bros. Turns out yeah. the hands are actually the gloves for Mickey. Oh yeah. shit! <laughs> That's the thing. If Disney wanted to make a put in a bid for Nintendo, they'd have to put up infinitely more than they put forward for Sony or anything like that. No. It'd be a battle if they wanted to get that, but. Because that was, I heard that from a few people saying like Disney must have tried to buy Nintendo or something. There's, there's got to be some reason why Sora made it into Smash Bros. Then a lot of people just said, say, no, Sakurai probably just said, people want this character, make it happen. <laughs> and Sakurai has got that much clout in the games industry because he's had to work with Square Enix who don't want to put any Final Fantasy music into the game. And then all of a sudden, not only is Cloud in the game, but you get Sephiroth in the game and more Final Fantasy VII tracks appear. But I wonder with that one, if it was just possibly not quite a marketing stunt, but to help kind of promote the remakes that they've had? No, what it actually was is that uh, it's quite common practice, particularly in Square Enix games, to get guest artists and other bands in to do music. So there was so much uh, copyright tied in from other bands, like uh, the title song from Kingdom Hearts is a song called Simple and Clean by a, a singer called Yutada Hikaru. And she has her own uh, license. She has her own uh, record label. So they, they weren't allowed to use it without her permission. And, you know, they couldn't get the permission. And it was the same with uh, Final Fantasy VII tracks. And they were all done by other people that they didn't have the rights to anymore. So they had to redo all the music in Final Fantasy VII Remake. So that's why when Sephiroth got added in, it was all just, you know, this is rearranged tracks from the remake because they actually had the rights to that. I assumed it was something to do with, like, kind of saying, hey, like, Remember Cloud and Sephiroth? They're going to be back soon. Here's a little... <laughs> play with them as little toys, I guess. <laughs> that metaphor of the toys, like playing with the characters as toys, is actually pretty good. The more I think about it, yeah. I'm like, hmm, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but they, they dropped that like a lit turd when it came to Super Smash Bros. Brawl, and I'm like, fuck it, Space Adventure. <laughs> fuck it, Space Adventure. <laughs> pretty much what it is. Like, we're going to make Master Hand and Crazy Hand some kind of cosmic entities that are... Uh, what was it? They're, they're emissaries for a character called Taboo who wants to destroy everything or something. I can't remember the exact specifics of the subspace emissary story mode for Smash Bros. Brawl, but yeah, something like that. Yeah. 
But well, with that wrapping up, like with the um, like with the Smash Bros. roster now full, yeah. What do you think happens? Like, just let the game run for a couple of years. I think what they're going to do is they're going to leave Smash Ultimate for a while. They're going to let it because people are not going to stop playing it. Uh, it's there's too much in that game and there's too much fun that comes from that game that people are not just going to stop it. That people are going to keep playing it, and especially with the addition of Sora, I think that guarantees will continue to play it for a while. Maybe on the next system that Nintendo puts out, which I think will be a variation on the Switch, because the even the new OLED model, people are going, no, I'm not buying that because it's got a shiny new screen. The people that have bought it because it has a shiny, or people that have bought it because maybe they thought, it, you know, they wanted to see it, are now appreciating the fact that it has a shiny new screen and better battery life and things like that. And an Ethernet connection. Yeah, and an Ethernet port, yeah. You have to spend £50, no, between thirty and fifty pound to get a, a USB LAN connector for your Switch if you want to play, you know, Smash or fighting games at a decent connection. Oh yeah, I forgot they made that uh, dongle. Oh shit. Yeah, Nintendo are notoriously, notoriously bad at making a peripheral that costs a shit ton of money, only to then have the next iteration of the console that they put out have that peripheral built in. <laughs> it's a shitty business practice, but it makes motherfucking money. It makes Michael Bay money. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think they might do another version of Smash Bros, but I don't think Sakurai will be involved. Which will be a shame, because I so much of what he did in Smash Ultimate reeks of, this is my final bite of the apple, because uh, developing Smash Bros is no secret, it took a massive toll on him physically. I think he got some, he's got Fairly bad tendonitis in his shoulders and wrists for just, you know, programming and, you know, making the game for as long as he did. So I could genuinely see someone else being handed the torch to make uh, Smash Bros. And they're going to have the daunting task of trying to build upon, I think, 80 character roster that they had in Smash Ultimate. Yeah. Or uh, at least kind of not, maybe not building on it, but maybe replacing it. Yeah. I think that regardless, I think what they're going to say is I'm not going to, if they've been told, you have to stick within this character roster. I think you might have to then pick in, or you'll have the shitty task of saying, well, we'll take this character out because they weren't too fondly uh, uh, received and we'll put in a, a new character. And I think that's what's going to piss people off because a lot of people, I mean, a fucking lot of people were hoping that the final Smash character was going to be uh, Doom Slayer, which he's kind of in the game. It's not the same. I'd rather, yeah. as much as I like Sora and Sora is the main character of one of my favourite game series of all time. I still would have preferred Doomguy. Just I, I, I still one... think that our version of Doomguy, the one that we wanted, like the full gore effects, like everyone else is like yep. having a kitty slap fight and then up shows Doomslayer, shoving shotguns into people and pulling the trigger, would have been the funniest, like especially to end yep. the game as the last character. And it's been like, absolute flip the table moment, here comes gore and Smash Bros. <laughs> yeah. Just... I even had, I even pictured the, sma the reveal for Doomguy, right? It was going to be like this. It was the final battle. They were fighting the the two bad guys. One of them was called Galim. I uh, there was the the being of light Galim and the being of darkness Darkon. It was going to be the final fight with them. Everyone fucking Darkon. Yeah, dark D H A R K O N. That was the big evil dark creature. Was called Darkon, right? And uh, so it's the final fight between those two. And the uh, those two and the Nintendo characters. What happens was midway through the fight. All of a sudden, Darkon 
stops completely and just gets chainsawed in half. Galeem runs away. Doom guy just comes running across the screen, super shotgun blaring away, <laughs> trying to catch up with Galeem. And then as Galeem runs away, Doom guy lands in front of everybody. And it's just Doom guy rips and tears, or Doom Slayer rips and tears. And that's how Doom guy gets announced in Smash. <laughs> His final Smash would even just be BFG 3000, 9000. Yeah, just nice. like shooting shots down onto the ground, like Snake's old super, where uh, Snake used to call on a helicopter and shoot grenades. Uh, holding on to a sort of landing ro- uh, landing ladder. Oh, that was a dick move. <laughs> that was an absolute nightmare when that showed up in uh, Brawl. <laughs> You're like, yep. oh my god, who the hell made this? <laughs> oh, his, his new one is pretty much the same, except he's now stays on the stage and you can hit him out of it. But you know, you just lock on everybody using missiles and then jump the hell out of the way as soon as they're fired. Yeah, I I would have. I think now, I think they're maybe savvy enough for the meme to maybe just play up the Isabella joke where they just have like. Isabella's under threat because she's in the game now. Have her being threatened by uh, Darkon, and then just have Doom Guy appear to save her. <laughs> I mean, yeah. like, Doom Guy is here. <laughs> I just just to play it because that was um the way I saw the announcement of Doom Guy cover of. Uh, we should explain that the, the Doom Guy isn't really in the game. They just give you a skin for the Me, which is like your yeah. uh, Nintendo caricature fighter, which is like a stand-in, like a general uh, purpose. It could be anyone, but it has the same move set as every other Me fighter. And they yeah. um they decided to just give you a Doomslayer skin for the Mii. Which I think might yeah. be, like, if there's any more drip feeds of content into Ultimate, it'll be more of those. Just skins or alternatives for different characters. Yeah, I think what it might be if they do somehow revisit it in maybe a couple months' time, which, to be honest, after this send-off, I doubt, I doubt it would happen. But if they do come back and say, because there's still the uh, Video Game Awards, and apparently there's a rumour that there's going to be more, there's going to be an update for Smash based on something, which I think if it is going to be something, it'll be more uh, costumes, like you said, or it'll be Echo characters because Echo characters are basically just we've got this character in the game now, we're going to tweak them slightly, tweak them slightly, we're going to slap another character skin over it, and then we're going to release them. It's like what they did with uh, Ken and Ryu. Ken and Ryu basically have the same moveset. Ryu has a slightly different moveset, but at the core, Exactly the same, but they're two different characters. And that's how they can justify having uh, Ken and Ryu in the game, uh, Simon and Richter Belmont. I can imagine them doing more of those type of characters. So maybe for uh, Sora, you'd get Riku or well, Roxas or something like that. For Kazuya, you'd maybe get Jin or Hihachi. Just more ways of adding new content in the game that's not going to destroy them in terms of workload. Because yeah. there's not a lot of work that we need to go into making an and a, an echo because you've already got the main character there. You just need to tweak them slightly and put a new skin over the top. Hmm. Yeah, I can see that working. It is a bit of an investment though, and it depends on what Nintendo's like five-year plan is yeah. basically. Because um, I would, I, I honestly seen them doing a fourth uh, DLC pass. Sorry, a third DLC pass. Just hmm. maybe something not as str- not as heavy. Is making five or six totally new characters. We'll just we'll call this the Echo Pack. We'll make it slightly cheaper, and it'll be, you know, echoes for characters that you thought you were going to get but never quite happened. So you'd finally get a uh, Shadow the Hedgehog as Sonic's Echo, or you know, it should really be Tails or something like that. But you know, people would be more receptive if it was Shadow. You'd yeah. get a uh, fuck. 
try to think of other characters that could get echo characters just to illustrate my point. The but, worst part is that I go straight to the meme answer that we do Shadow the Hedgehog, but it's like the Shadow the Hedgehog where he's got a gun. <laughs> See, before they, they might do that, like down B or something, he just shoots the shit out of you. <laughs> but I think uh, Sega are quite keen to distance themselves with Shadow the Hedgehog. As, as, I'll get as much distance between Sega and Shadow the Hedgehog as they physically can. Because people play that game as a joke. I mean, Shadow the Hedgehog really... might be okay, but Shadow with a gun is probably not okay. <laughs> yeah. Then again, Joker from Persona has a gun. One of his moves is literally neutral B, shoot you. <laughs> and then Kirby, uh, Kirby's copy ability when he inhales you and spits you back out, he copies that gun move when he inhales Joker. So not only have you got Joker shooting a gun, you're now giving Kirby a gun. And that's just wrong. <laughs> it's so goddamn right. I, does he pull the gun out of his mouth? Because no, that'd be pretty gangster. He pulls it out of mallet space behind him and just goes, blacker, blacker. Oh, that's just, just the idea of, like, you eat Joker. <laughs> and just Joker left his gun in there and Kirby just pulls it out. Not today, motherfucker. <laughs> uh, break this is why you can't have me in discussions of Smash. I immediately go to, what's the memeiest answer we can get? What's the, what's the biggest shitpost I can make with someone's most beloved franchise? <laughs> I mean, at this point, if, as long as it's not Jonesy from Smash, because apparently that's the main character's name, or more Minecraft, I, I'm okay with it. I don't think you could put more Minecraft than it's physically in the game. But if it's not Minecraft, or as much as I hate to say this, Goku... As long as it's a genuine consideration yeah. of a video game character, not some kind of pipe dream that you know you youngins want. The the more I remember initially when it came to the like Smash announcement, uh, when you were talking about the like Smash Ultimate rosters and who could be in it, and I remember you saying something like he won't let characters from anime appear in the franchise. Yeah. And I initially was like, that's bullshit. Why are you like t- like taking out such a massive portion of your potential fan base to just refuse anime characters? But having seen the number of Goku iterations through Dragon Ball Fighters. I kind of have to respect it. Just to yeah. say, no, we're not touching Goku with a 10-foot pole. It's too complicated. And it's not uh, worth killing reason. our staff for it. Yeah. Again, there's, too, there's still too many, or too many Gokus in that game. I think they're doing another season pass as well. What the fuck if you get more Gokus and going to kick off? <laughs> um, it's like three more Gokus. But, it's like, you just made new ones up. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah. Like, this is a tie-in for Dragon Ball's super superhero. Like, what the hell is this? I don't need this. Oh, we forgot to talk about that. I mean, there's nothing to talk about. We don't know anything about the movie. <laughs> no, there was a, there was a trailer released uh, the other day, um, and it's weird. Um, apparently, they told everyone it was going to be 3D uh, the last time, and it looks a lot like the. It's not quite as it's a bit smoother, I'd say, than what I've seen in like the Fighters engine. Um, mm. It's not as like heavy line art as the other ones, but it's odd. Um, it's not quite the 3D, like, 2D blend that we've had in the past, like Battle of Gods. It is a fully, like, 3D rendered thing, which I'm curious to see how it's going to pan out. Um, I, I'm okay mm. with 3D anime. I'm interested in seeing what they pull off with it, but at the same time, like, I, I immediately look at it, I'm like, that's not Dragon Ball. <laughs> yeah. I have that annoying, like... Knowing that it's 2D, I'm kind of trepidatious about it. Yeah, I just have that annoying, like, I, I really hate that people say, oh, it's changed too much, you can't have that, and I'm like, just, just just, let it be. Let it happen. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Otherwise, don't be a cunt about it. <laughs> but yeah. then, it happens to my franchise, and I'm like, you do Dragon Ball! <laughs> 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 oh, that's, what, that's what we're saying about Sakurai. Uh, the main reason he's not letting Goku and other uh, manga characters in the game is basically because he views Smash Bros. as a celebration of video games. Mm. And characters that don't come specifically from video games, unfortunately, don't count. 
that and unfortunately if you bring in fighting characters it basically has to be from shonen uh like series you can't really bring in like the <laughs> like you can't bring in l from death note like it doesn't work for a fighting game you would have to bring in Go- goku or luffy from one piece like it just mm. wouldn't work and then you're also bringing not i'm not gonna lie you're just gonna bring the worst of their fan base over to your game which is a very kind of set environment like it has its own culture and thing and you don't want to yeah. try and drag it like could you imagine putting a fucking jojo's character in there and having to deal with the like your fantastic community just being invaded by JoJo's fans, it'd just be a fucking disaster. Your people don't deserve. It. I can actually see why he would refuse any connection, especially as say if it's a celebration of video games, or at least just letting Marcus Phoenix. That'd be funny. <laughs> All yeah, Marcus Phoenix would have been funny, but I think I'd be more okay with that just to hear John DiMaggio in Smash Bros. <laughs> that'd be that'd be fucking amazing. And have him do like alternative lines for Kirby. Yeah, <laughs> just just say, hey, while you're at it, <laughs> could you give us a few higher pitched effort noises? Why? Don't ask. <laughs> no, not even higher pitch. Not even higher pitch. Just when Kirby copies Marcus Phoenix's ability, just have John DiMaggio shoot charge or something with the with the lancer. <laughs> have it come out of Kirby. <laughs> no, you you have him solo Joker and Marcus Phoenix get a bonus line where he just pulls the gun out of his mouth. Points it, someone says, "Boom!" <laughs> just blows her head off. <laughs> uh, and I want Marcus Phoenix and Smash Bros. <laughs> Dear Mr. <Ms>. Sakura, <laughs> I appreciate all the work you've put into this game and all the effort it's taken you. I appreciate the sacrifices you've made to make this dream a reality. However, <laughs> I have an extra note for you. <laughs> Behold, my drawing of Kirby with a Marcus Phoenix beard. <laughs> just send it away. <laughs> No, surely you'd have the bandana. Surely you'd have the durag. Oh yeah, you gotta have the durag, and because I like the older beard, I, I do enjoy the older Marcus Phoenix beard. So I think you have both. <laughs> Grizzled Marcus Phoenix Kirby. <laughs> yeah, that'd be amazing. Uh, we got we got Sora and Smash. As much as I wanted other characters, uh, I, I wanted a Doomslayer. Or genuinely, uh, I know I don't play much Mortal Kombat, but I thought it would have been cool as fuck to see Sub Zero or Scorpion in Smash. It was never going to happen, but. I thought it would have been pretty cool to see those characters in there, but it was good to finally get fairly, fairly amazing cap on a fairly amazing game, yeah. uh, and it will, nothing like this will be replicated in the future. I can guarantee that, and if it is, then well, hats off to the guy who wants to do it. Yeah, and, uh, good luck following that. <laughs> yeah, good. that is a mic drop that left a Yamcha-sized crater. You're you're gonna have to dig the microphone out if you want to follow that one up again, and. Uh, yeah, I look forward to playing Sora when he when he arrives. I think I'm going to play many, many games of Smash Online just as a complete finished product. See how that goes on. Uh, yeah, and uh, thank you, Sakurai. Uh, but the only way I can, the best way I can think to wrap that one up. No, I like it. It's at a certain point you you grow to respect the effort someone's made in making something a reality. Yeah, and yeah, like an undertaking of. And how long has like Ultimate been out now? It's like five years. Uh, Gotta be close. Yeah, about that. that yeah. yeah, yeah, about that. Because I remember it was either, yeah, it was first year of university. It came out. Aye, first year of university, around about Christmas time, it came out. I remember getting it in November and having to study like fuck for my exam. So it just sat up on a shelf in my room, initial, looking at me. Initial release date seventh December twenty eighteen. Yeah, my exams, if I remember right, were. Tail end of December, so I want to want to see something like the eighteenth and twenty first. My exams were, yeah. I was just thinking, you 
fucking wanker. I want to play this game so goddamn badly, and it's fucking exams. I actually remember that back in the day, way back yeah. in the day. And uh, yeah. yeah, it was. You I mean, it wasn't like... even the worst exams that I had to sit. You know, I remember I had to sit my first set of first year exams with a broken hand. Oh no! Like I had to type all of them out with my left hand. You you were fine with the exam. You're like, okay, it is what it is. But it was more the fact that you couldn't play the game was pissing you off so much because your yeah, brother could oh, play it great. and you were sitting there going, "Fucker, give me my game. <laughs> Gotta get through these exams. I just need to get through the exams." <laughs> I mean, the only reason I didn't play it is because I I knew I was like, I want to play a lot of this game, and if I start playing it now, I'm you know gonna fail my exams. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm saying like it's been out for just under three years. But I mean, consider what like a five-year development cycle before that. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I don't even think it was that. It might have been because it came. They announced that they were making Smash Ultimate about maybe two or three years after they finished Smash Four. So they must have finished Smash Four and then immediately went on Ultimate for the Switch. Because, well, the Wii U version of Smash Four didn't sell that well. But that's more down to the Wii U not selling well. Say, than the nothing game on the Wii U sold well. <laughs> yeah. Not even the Wii U. Well, yeah. <laughs> the Wii U kind of started off fairly high and then just spent this last couple of years dragging its face along the ground. I gotta say, I as, as an outsider to that one, I don't think that ever did well. At least my perception of it was just like, we're releasing an add-on to the biggest console of all time. And you're like, okay, cool, what is it? A tablet. And I just kind of going, well, what do we do with it? Oh, you, you interact with the games as well. And you're like, mm. <laughs> it's not. It wasn't even an add-on for the console. It was just, it was a whole new console. And the reason why people didn't buy it is because they thought, oh, this is just a tablet for the Wii. I'm not going to buy it. Mm. Then when they realized it was a whole new console, they was like, oh, well, I'll just wait for the Switch. Because they... midway through the develop or midway through the the lifetime of the the Wii U, they, they announced that they were doing the Switch. I think it was called the Nintendo NX at this point. And they just went, well, I've not got a Wii U, I'm just going to wait for the NX. Oh, I remember the NX, because it was... All the video game like websites were like, what's this mysterious NX project Nintendo are teasing? And you're like, okay, they're not teasing it, you just found leaked internal documents. <laughs> yeah. But also, the NX is the dumbest name ever, and everyone's like, no, it's, it's going to be like a new generation of cool Nintendo consoles, and you're like, eh, not really. It's the, like, that, that type of cool where you call something NX and think it's cool is not Nintendo's style. <laughs> so, yeah. Chill your fucking like boats there. <laughs> We're just not doing that. Yeah, but then again, that did lead to us getting the switch, which I genuinely think is the probably the strongest of the three uh, consoles right now. Not physically the strongest, but in terms of games and titles, that's the strongest. <laughs> in terms of uh, titles, you know, portability, availability. Uh, I was gonna, actually being available uh, <laughs> for a very reasonable price right now. Like I looked at it at one point because I was looking at it saying, okay, I don't really need a console to play on, but if I did. Hypothetically speaking, on a console, what would yeah. that be? And I looked at the Switch and was like, okay, that's pretty, pretty optional right there. That's a, yeah, it's up there on the list now. Yeah, I was actually I was listening to uh, listen to a couple of people uh, over here and a couple of people chat on the train. And one of the guy on my train to uni uh, last week, one of the guys that was talking away said he managed to get a PlayStation Five, and obviously the other person spoke in disbelief, like, no way, man, how did you get it? How, where did you get it? How, how did you get a hold of this console? After about a good five minute discussion on that, they uh, said, hey, how much did you pay for it? And they were like, retail. When you paid 400 quid, 450 quid for that console. Bullshit. You, know, you got a brand new console for 150 bucks. They were like, I need to see receipts. You need to prove this to me <laughs> and you need to show me where I can get one of these consoles because that sounds 
absolute shit. Prove to me you didn't suck a dick. That's all I want to know. Just prove to me you didn't suck a dick to get this console. Yeah. <laughs> or if you did, whose? Because <laughs> I have some questions. Mostly about the sucking of the dick. <laughs> I want to know if this person's busy. <laughs> I, I, and do I, they have any PlayStations left? Do they have free time in their calendar and free PlayStations to go? <laughs> Let's make some trades. Uh, uh, speaking of consoles, actually, I just watched this before we started recording the podcast. But... um. Yeah. Uh, Valve are producing a another handheld console. Basically, it's supposed to be a competitor towards the Switch, of all things, and it's called the Steam Deck. And this is basically, just, as it sounds, just a handheld gaming console built around the Steam system, rather than uh, like the Steam gaming system on PC, rather than uh, any internal software like uh, PlayStation Five had their, or PlayStation had their thing, the PSP or the PS Go or something like that, um, like PlayStation Portable. And then obviously Nintendo's Switch is massively successful, and then with it being very successful and culturally relevant, like it seems to have shifted things to in the West to allow kind of more mobile gaming. Um, Valve said, hey, we'll make a portable gaming PC and try and get it out there as fast as we can. And it seems to be that they're uh, they're doing some interesting moves with it because they've released a video of not quite a full teardown where you take out every single component and show off what it is, but they have, uh, they've released on their like YouTube page because apparently Valve has a YouTube page they have a... Um, they have more than three videos. Hey! <laughs> um, but they have uh, done a video explaining <laughs> how to take apart part of the console. And I was quite surprised. Like, inside, it seems quite <laughs> easy to use, in a way. Like, if you've ever taken apart consoles and uh, gaming components, it's typically a bit of a nightmare because yeah. most uh, manufacturers don't want you in there. For very obvious reasons, like, you could electrocute yourself if you're a fucking moron. Um... And you know, as somebody who plays around with PCs, I've just like I'm currently recording this on my own home built PC right now. Um, like playing around inside tech stuff is pretty fun. And seeing uh, Valve actually go through and explain how to take out different bits and pieces uh, was good. Um and it's good to have it come from them because as much as I love like random Indian YouTube videos, if one more Indian guy explains how to take apart a laptop while holding his phone in one hand and try to take apart the laptop in the other hand, I'm gonna bust a nut. I'm not even joking. There are so many videos of, like shaky cams of like people being like, "Oh no, you just have to undo these like twenty screws and then just lift it off," and they do it perfectly. And you're like sitting there like an idiot, just trying to like lever the case off of your uh, your laptop, trying to get into the insides. Fucking embarrassing. But having Valve come and do it themselves is interesting. And I was like, "Hmm, what's the angle on this?" And as you're watching through the video, it's, it's a bit odd. Like there's various different jump cuts back and forth to different states of like repair and disrepair. Um, as they explain like which parts to move out of the way, but it all kind of evens out in the end. One of the things they said was that actually, um, it's designed to be not like fully modular, but at least partially modular, because they have uh, intentions to, and this will be interesting to you, you as a Switch owner. They know that uh, what what's called in Nintendo circles Joy-Con drift or uh, thumbstick drift is a major yeah. issue in handheld consoles because. You don't want to have someone chuck away their whole console if the thumbstick start, stops working. It just creates a massive amount of e-waste and it's a massive waste of money. So Valve are actually planning to make the thumbsticks available as a separate component that you could buy if you need to replace them. And you could do it yourself if you wanted to. That's, uh, that's actually a pretty good call because yeah. as someone who's having to deal with a lot of that shit right now uh, with Joy-Con drift, Having, a, having the ability to easily repair that would be amazing. 
because uh, since uh, my brother originally bought the Switch with uh, the red and blue Joy-Cons, they haven't been used since oh, since uh, the first, after the first year of owning the Switch. They started drifting quite badly after owning the Switch for a while. So they've just been sitting on a shelf, covering, uh, gathering dust, you know, waiting for Nintendo to reopen their they're a service that allows you to fix Joy-Cons because that closed due to COVID. <laughs> and I've just had, you know, a 70 quid controller sitting there still working, still fully functional, but the thumbsticks are fucked, so I can't use it. Hmm. Yeah. All because Nintendo don't can't want... make... <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know what the hell is causing it, but Nintendo just, you know, made good, good controllers that have a tendency to break after a year, year and a half. Why don't why not allow us to fix ourselves? Yeah. Well I mean the fixing it yourself thing is viable to like one thing to talk about with uh, actually with the breakdown video is that they spend a minute of the like video explaining why you don't want to do this. Like saying, hey, only open this up if it's a last resort and please do so with like a lot of supervision and making sure you know what you're doing or having a friend to help you out and watching, you know, our videos and these takedown videos as much as you need to, to know what you're doing, because what you're doing is potentially dangerous. Um, there's, you know, a slight risk of electrocution. There is, yeah. uh, you know, you could just damage and void warranty and stuff like that. And they they go through like a minute of like saying, hey, it's kind of dangerous to do this. You probably shouldn't do it. And then all of a sudden saying, hey, but also messing around inside gaming hardware is pretty cool. And you're like, yeah, it is, but you just invalidated your entire minute of spiel there. <laughs> you know? <laughs> You were going for something. You had a very good point of you may electrocute yourself. Don't fucking do this. And you're like, ah, but it's pretty fun. <laughs> it's 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 a good hobby to have. It's a good giggle, really. <laughs> but the um, it's a good laugh. But you may electrocute yourself. <laughs> what isn't these days? <laughs> it's, yeah. It's is it worth the risk though? Probably yes. But um, yeah, they they have um like a lot of uh like explanation of like what's going on inside of it. And then I think when it comes to, like Nintendo stuff, it's like, is it worth it? To say, okay, like, yeah, they have their own server to like mail it back, they'll fix it, and then either mail it back to you or put this on rotation, uh, retrofitted or reused Joy Cons mm. or whatever that you can maybe buy at a discount and they just kind of cycle them through a separate ecosystem and just yeah. say, hey, look, you're Even buying that, the, the reconditioned Joy Cons would probably cost you about 50 quid because I think uh, for a brand new set of Joy Cons right now, plain grey. That you got with the first launch switch, they would cost you about sixty quid. Mm. If you want coloured Joy Cons, which look a bit better, the the grey ones look a bit boring. If you want fully coloured Joy Cons, you're talking about seventy. Hmm. They're not cheap, so they either need to, if they're going to break, make the replacements cheaper or make it easier to fix them. Yeah, because I, I mean, I don't want to say that Nintendo's policy might just be to get all the old ones and just bin them, send out new ones. Because that would be yeah. horrific. Like, if you find it Nintendo were doing that, it's like, guys, the planet is dying. Could we fucking not do that? Yeah. Um, but I, I do like Valve's approach, which is to say, hey, we'll try and support as much as we can people repairing their own stuff. And uh, also, there's uh, SSD upgrades that you can put in place. Um, there is a, uh, the hard drive for the uh, Steam Deck is a an NVMe SSD, which is a, it's tiny. It is honestly, it's a 30 millimeter long card that slots in the back. And with reasonably easy access, um, you have to take off some like a, a cooling panel with a, a couple like thermal pads. But if you aren't an idiot, it shouldn't be an issue to take it off and replace the SSD with something maybe faster or bigger capacity. 
they also do recommend though, like they're very keen to point out, hey, we also have an expanded like micro SD card slot that you can just use instead. Hmm. We prefer if you use that. But if you have to go in and mess around with the SSDs, here's how you do it. Just remember that I think they, they give her a kind of uh, like warnings about, hey, we chose this SSD because the way it runs doesn't interfere with the Bluetooth and Wi-Fi connections, which, by the way, are like a half an inch away from the SSD. <laughs> we had to be very careful about part uh, components there. <laughs> so if you're t- if you're replacing this, it's at your own risk. And maybe keep the original around just in case, because it might ship the bed. So yeah, I mean, I like, think just, I think that's just good practice for any for any uh, PC repair. Like, keep the original, in case this fucks up. Yeah, um, I mean, like the, the actually looking at the notes from like what the teardown was, um, the the thumbsticks are on their own little daughter board. So like you get the motherboard, and then a little bit comes off to be the daughter board. You take out one ribbon cable, which is on like an easy access like latch. Um, I've taken apart these like I've taken apart laptops and stuff, and ribbon cables are actually not that bad to work with. Um, compared to like actual individual pins, um, just think of it like a really flat USB cable. If you've never taken apart a computer before, um, but you take off one ribbon cable and three screws, and you can take this like the thumbstick out from the back, and you're done. I was like, wow, that that's easy. That is like general like your friend who doesn't know much about computers could do this themselves. <laughs> so. In terms of like having it work like that, that's really impressive. And like, if Valve want to go this direction and just have like reusable or maybe not reusable, but like recyclable stuff, um, mm-hmm. or stuff that's easier to recycle, I'm all for it. But yeah, that gives me a bit of hope for this the Steam Deck. I don't know how it's actually going to pan out. I I have some doubts about how powerful it could be and how powerful it needs to be to run certain games. But if they're making it, um, I might check it out if you know one becomes yeah. available because it doesn't seem too expensive. It's a bit more expensive than a Switch. But it's promising a lot more. Not sure how it'll pan out. I think that's the name of the game at this point. If it's available and it has, it can play the games that you want. It can play next generation games potentially, and it's cheaper than a PS Five and an Xbox or an Xbox. Yeah. And it's going to take you less time to get it than a PS Five or Xbox. Don't fucking bother waiting for the PS Five or the Xbox. Because I think it's going to get to the stage where the people that did want an Xbox that haven't got one are just not going to want one when they when they become available. Mm. And they're yeah. just going to be, you know what, fuck it. I wanted one like two years ago. Don't want one now. Like I've, I've found different ways to play those games. Yeah. I think I think the most people, well, the most, for the most part, people are going to do what you've done, essentially. Just go, you know what, I can just play that game on PC. Yeah. And they take the money that I was going to spend on those consoles, and I'm going to buy a Steam Deck that's going to play those games portably, or I'm going to buy a PC that's going to play those games at much higher uh, yeah and that that's what the the steam deck has going in its favor is that it's your steam library if that's still if that's still true and it's still your steam library and we'll take the compatible games and run it on this uh handheld console it's about Mm. ease of access because i'm not gonna lie powering up this fucking battle station right now is a bit of an ordeal (laughs) like actually getting everything in in roll i I may have overdone my my setup here for the pc but it is a fucking ordeal to get it started some days and then uh taking it with you so having it right there in your hand, like, push two buttons, it's on, you're playing games already, rather than fucking firing up Steam and getting everything in, in line and then sorting your monitors out and stuff like that. Like, that might be a bit of a hassle. Mm-hmm. And so having ease of access and then portability, those are two big wins, against even against your own PC gaming experience. And if they can find a way to have it do 
uh oh what's it called it's like steam streaming i can't remember what the hit what the name for it is but if you have a like a less powerful pc like a laptop but a fully powered pc you can have the pc run the game and it streams onto the screen of the laptop if you have them synced up if that can handle that as well that's game changer obviously not over like when you take it outside but if you do it like over wi-fi that's a game changer I just looked up the Steam Deck video that you're talking about on Valve's YouTube. Funnily enough, uploaded three days ago, Valve. Uh, and it basically says you shouldn't... Uh, the thumbnail is just a guy wearing uh, black surgical gloves, moving screwdrivers and tweezers and stuff, and it's just, it says in bold yellow text, you shouldn't do any of this. <laughs> yeah, like, please don't do what we're doing. <laughs> but also, here's how to do it. Yeah, it's a weird thing. That guy is not obsessively but is occasionally just nudging and like tweaking the positions of those screwdrivers throughout the entire video. And I was watching it going, is he doing a bit? <laughs> like, or does he need things to be a certain way? And is he slightly obsessive-compulsive? Or does he just want... Is he just like, kind of... Is he doing... Is he told, it's kind of funny if you just tweak and adjust stuff constantly throughout the video. And we just see who obsesses over it. To see like if there's any Half-Life signals or anything in there. Which would be brilliant. If there was gradually... like If you charted the position... Of all those screwdrivers, does it spell it Half Life Three is coming or something like that? <laughs> it, it spells and what is it? Semaphore, like the flag signals. <laughs> yeah, I, I would also the Half Life Three is dead. <laughs> Stop asking. <laughs> <laughs> it spells out they stole my wife and kids. <laughs> Gabe Null has them at gunpoint. Stop asking. Ah, <laughs> uh, spells out one more job. Then it's night night forever. Ah. <laughs> uh. But yeah, that's uh, the Steam Deck. I'm, again, cautiously optimistic, um, which is as far as I'll go for this one. But yeah. Um, yeah, I'm like that with every new piece of technology that comes out. I wait to see how it performs, but I'm not going to veer away from the big three until there's a good reason to. Because then you get shit like the, the Ouya and the Stadia and stuff. Like, we're going to be the next big thing in gaming. Oh, shit. No, we're not. Fuck. <laughs> uh, you, Run it back. You had to tell me about the Ouya. <laughs> that, like, every now and again I get, I get told it was something like, no, I didn't miss this. This is bullshit. This didn't exist. And you look at it and you're like, oh my god, there was a complete and utter failure and I missed it. Yep. <laughs> it was the Suez Canal of gaming <laughs> and I missed it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's... What was it? Ah, yeah, the Ouya the one and then, yeah, there was... Uh, Google Play... Google Stadia had a, a possibility of working, but it would require a massive investment on the hardware side. Not just yeah. on the point of view of like the actual like the Google servers, but the actual infrastructure, like streaming that content as fast as you possibly need it. I and mean, it would also mean that you'd have to pay for the highest power internet you physically possibly could. You'd have to be putting down a fiber connection, a very, very high bit fiber connection, to make sure that you could output these games at a minimum of what was it 1080p a maximum of 4k mm. consistently without any drops because otherwise on a regular connection i think you would start at maybe 1080p and you would drop to a consistent 720p within minutes the, the internet connections just weren't there it was, it was the same with um 4k tv not everyone has the connection to support 4k yeah not everyone has the tv to support 4k yeah so, like, there's no point in doing it and i think that's what stadia Majorly went wrong. I think the uh, the broadcast quality wouldn't be that bad. My concern would be the latency. 
And again, it's the solution is fiber optic, which is not available everywhere. And like, isn't it like a weird thing? I used to live like a mile away from where I live now with a fiber optic connection. It was god tier. And then moved over here and it's not available and will not be available. I'm in the same town, same postcode. I'm just a little bit down the road. And they're like, yeah. nope, you're never getting fiber optic. Suck it. You know, what? <laughs> you moved around the corner and all of a sudden you can't get fiber. Yeah, like it's it's just like you're you're asking a lot of other companies that aren't you, and you're not paying them to do it to make your customers happy. And it's you know it it would result in a lot of people buying into Google Stadia if they did, and then all of a sudden just saying yeah, this isn't worth it. <laughs> you've got shit games, so I'm leaving. <laughs> and then you've just generated a lot of wasted money and potential. And <laughs> like the local CX gets a hundred uh, Google Play controllers or whatever it is yeah. that they call them. That, honestly, that is where I first seen the only Ouya that I've ever seen in real life. Incidentally, it's where I've only I've seen the only Xbox Series X I've ever seen in real life. Is <laughs> uh, in CX, and when I I saw the Ouya, there was a wall of them. There was about eight on the wall, and it was the little weird upside down uh, box thing. Just something about it just looked weird and out of proportion. And the controller that looked almost like an Xbox controller. But if it was made by someone that had only seen PlayStation controllers, if someone said, make me an Xbox controller, okay, but I've only seen PlayStation. Ah, uh, just, just, you'll figure it out. You're a smart kid, you'll figure it out. I still need to go back and I have a Raspberry Pi, I still don't remember why I have it, but um, I, I was thinking about things I could do with it, and one of them is like a retro arcade game. Like, you can actually run retro, like old school Street Fighter games on it. Yeah. Um, emulate. Yeah, I'm thinking of doing that. So I'll see if I can maybe get that hooked up. <laughs> Have a better experience than an Ouya user. See, I've already bought most uh, most of the Street Fighter games twice. So I have them playable on most things. Like on the Xbox One and suppose Series X when I get it, I bought the 30th Anniversary Collection. And that gives you every Street Fighter dating back to Street Fighter 1, which is a game that no one should play. Jeez. That game is... Oh, it is bad. You say 30th yeah. anniversary, and I'm guessing what 20 games? No, not 20 games, uh, 15, maybe 18. Because there's Street Fighter 1, then there's five iterations of Street Fighter 2. So, Street Fighter 1, uh, Street Fighter 2 version 1, Street Fighter 2, uh, Hyper Fighting, Street Fighter 2 Championship Edition, Street Fighter 2 Turbo, or maybe Super Street Fighter 2 Turbo. Then there's a uh, then there's the final version of Street Fighter 2. Then there's, you know, the three versions of Street Fighter Alpha, Street Fighter Alpha 1, 2, and 3. Then there's the three versions of Street Fighter 3. So, yeah, I think there's 12 games. Hmm. Some reason I was assuming that, like, at, at an earlier stage, they were just like, okay, we have something that works, just crank out the copies of it. And we yeah, just get, like, That's like, five games. We can make minor years. tweaks and make, get people to buy completely new games. So, fuck it, let's just do that. Yeah. So... A few episodes back, we talked about the passing of Kintar Mira, the author of Berserk, and uh, basically we wanted to give a little bit of an update because it was it was a weird time immediately following that, and I think we talked a lot about how, you know, for a week afterwards, you never just kind of numb, and it would just hit you in waves, like, ah, fuck, <laughs> in a weird way. Um, so yeah, I mean, Berserk obviously means a lot to us, and we've been, like, looking at, I was like, looking for news to see what was going on, it was a question of whether or not the, the show would go on. Um, without, you know, its lead author and it's, you know, it's basically guiding light was Mira, so the question became becomes uh, are the interns or the apprentices that he, he picked 
good enough to continue on. And it seems like we still don't have an actual answer. Just strange and sad, but understandable given the circumstances. I mean, how do you replace somebody of that caliber that's that important for the storytelling? Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's weird because the since then we've had the last void or the last chapter of the manga that uh, Muir actually worked on has been published. Uh, I think it's like three forty something, three forty six. Shit. Yeah. Um. And yeah, actually, get into how much effort that causes when I've actually started reading it. So talk a bit about that. But um, like now we've had three forty six published, and we're now saying okay, this could potentially be the end of the uh the storyline um people have actually got their hands on it uh, a lot of people have had it like shipped over there's been like a special edition uh, i think it's called young animal uh manga that actually took on the publishing of berserk uh, the original like publishing uh like body in japan uh actually collapsed but berserk was basically sold off to another manga company called young animal who mm-hmm. published the last work uh, and went and made like a very good send off uh, edition that was just berserk um that came out like a usual, um, I can't remember how big the volumes are, but it's like 30 pages almost of manga. And it's, uh, people got like limited edition of it or the kind of like run of it they made where they had a, a leaving note, like a final like message from the, the publisher translated in Japanese and English, which is a very nice touch because they specifically praise the overseas fandom uh, and say like, hey, thanks for, you know, making the story international and giving a lot of, you know, like making manga a, an international thing through the work of just one guy is fantastic and it's a great way to, it's great to know that Muir's legacy lives on overseas as well as here in Japan. And it's a very touching letter and it's very nice, but uh, they, they point out at the end, we uh, we don't know if the series will continue or not and they are going to mull it over for a bit and come back with an answer based on what they think Muir would have wanted. So, you know, the ball goes back up in the air, uh, nobody really knows which side it's going to fall down on. So, if you're looking for an update on Berserk, uh, the update is there is no update. So that's a shame. <laughs> uh, but in the meantime, um, I actually started reading the manga itself. Um, I've just finished volume thirteen out of uh, forty-one in total. Uh, volume forty-one will be up to date. I think it'll be that that'll be volume or chapter three sixty-four, and that will be out. I think they said December this year, because they basically had it ready to go. Uh, they're just waiting the last couple of chapters. And roughly, I mean, this is weird because um, Volume 13, uh, one of the things I find interesting was that I'm going to be reading beyond what I know of the story already because mm-hmm. I've seen the 97 anime and the movie trilogy, which cover roughly the same amount of content. And actually, fun enough, it ends at Volume 13. So I'm exactly where I would have been uh, if I just, or I've seen it exactly or roughly the same is what I would have seen uh, if I just watched the anime. Uh, for the record, I'm not going to spoil anything because uh, Dom is actually going to be getting my copies of the books uh, so he can read through it and enjoy it for himself because I think he really should enjoy these. Um, but also, I don't want him spending the vast amount of money I already have just trying to get the collection together. Um, I've bought up to book 20 and fuck me. <laughs> it's like, oh my god, the prices start to just rack up when you realise how much you're buying. I'm mean, buying 20 books of art, but at the same time, holy shit. <laughs> Like it catches you off guard sometimes. You're like, you wake up the morning afterwards, you know, looking at the like the the bill, and you're like, mm. <laughs> was it, it's worth it? I would I would say there's definitely there's never been a point of like ah, I shouldn't have bought that. Shouldn't have I should have waited or like I'm just happy to have more of it to consume because um I basically went through volume one, two, and three, 
uh, in the course of just like a night or two, and then four, five, and six, and seven, the next night, when it arrived, that's the level of just like chewing through this manga that I've done. Um, took a little bit of a break to obviously catch up on other stuff, but immediately as soon as I go back into it, I'm like I'm just inhaling page after page of this stuff. It's fantastic. Try to think of where to go with this, but I mean, because I don't want to describe too much of the art. Um, there's there's stages and different uh, chapters and bits and pieces uh, that are obviously very spoiler heavy, but that I really want to talk about with you. But I also want to let you finish it, um, and you can see like the difference between different stages of this uh, story and how the artwork plays out. It's very interesting to see it all uh, looking the way it does, and I'm actually quite surprised by how well both adaptations of uh, this story have like kept true to the source material. There's large portions of this that I'm like, oh, this is like, this is the storyboard of the of the TV show, and you can see why they've used it because it's good artwork. But also, I can see why, like, towards the last couple uh, volumes, maybe eleven, twelve, and thirteen, I've seen mm. stuff get cut, uh, like stuff that didn't make it into the anime, and I'm like, mm, yeah, I can see, I can see why you wouldn't put that in there. Um, for example, there's. Uh, at one point there's like it's towards the eclipse which is towards the end of the story that we know Um, there's basically like seven new characters that get added and each one has their own design and style and one of them has like three different forms and one of the most complicated and oh, sorry, one of the best fights at the manga so far but at the same time like if you were to tell me like I had to make the decision to cut certain things I'd have picked those things, I'd have picked what doesn't make it into the anime to also, like, if I was redoing it, I wouldn't have included it either, because it doesn't, it adds a little bit, but it doesn't add enough to justify being there when it's going to be so much work to animate it. It's interesting. But I guess it's the, the freedom that he had when making his own, uh, like, his own version of the story. But it's it's good. It's really good. Um, one thing I'd say it's missing, maybe from the TV shows that I wish was there, is that Guts has got a sense of humour, which doesn't appear in the shows that much. Yeah, I think that that's probably a translation thing as well. Not translation from Japanese to English, but just to kind of try to make it seem better to the TV audiences. Yeah, I mean, if you're, if you're... Having, them, having them be kind of funny and a bit jokey, obviously it's not going to be, you know, Spider-Man funny and jokey, but having them have a sense of humour after all the shit that he's went through mm. would be a bit weird. So it probably helps them be a bit more morose and a bit more yeah. broody on it's... the TV show as opposed to the the uh, comic. Yeah. When it comes I've got the word manga there. Holy <laughs> shit. No, no, you said comic, you have to live with that. Have fun. <laughs> yeah. No. I mean, I can live with that. Uh, it's, it's weird things. It's, it's actually not that frequent. It's not like he just shows up and starts quipping and like finger running and doing whatever. Like he just shows up and every now and again he just cracks and you're like, oh, it's weird that you would do that. And you remember uh, for the Golden Age arc towards the end, which is, you know, the, the part that I'm reading, um, mm. Guts is still only like 17. Maybe 18 at a push. And he's a killing machine. He's the certified badass of every battlefield he's ever been on. Um, he should really have a bit of swagger. And it does make sense that he gets to be like kind of cheeky and stuff. And it it's not like he's like coming up these awesome like one-liners that just put everyone down. He's just being mm. a bit of a cheeky kid. And you're like, oh yeah, he, he's a kid. <laughs> he's, he's a fucking monster, but he's a kid. You know? Um, and it's... It is good that it's there and giving him that little kind of goofy outlet every now and again. You're like, okay, it reminds you that he's still human, and uh, I expect that to disappear pretty quickly. <laughs> but um, 
yeah, I'd I'd say that um it's it's fun to have these little moments where like he'll just be he'll just find some weird thing that he finds funny and start cracking up and they actually go off model. So we're like guts is a very serious demeanor. You'll just cut to like the the another panel where he's like he looks a bit smaller and kinda cuter in a way, like he looks a bit more immature. It's him like holding back a laugh when everyone's like we didn't like I didn't mean that innuendo. I didn't mean to say it that way. Stop laughing at me. I didn't do this. <laughs> You're like, oh yeah, that would be a seventeen's reaction to that kind of joke. So it's, uh, it's good. It, it's a nice little kind of uh, refrain, and it only really happens in uh, like little scenes between hawks, which again helps ground guts and like him easing up and relaxing with members of the 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 war band that he's with. That yeah. I mean, it's a shame that it's missing from the anime, but I guess. If you're pitching the anime as a super serious, like hardened warrior guy, like you kind of can't have that in there. Like you said, like it, it would distract too much; it would, wouldn't fit the tone. But uh, yeah, it's 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 very good um, in terms of like the the sh- like the actual writing of the the characters in a way, like, because it's always been understood that yeah, uh, Berserk is violent and gory and murderous in so many different ways, and it's great for that. But what actually keeps you coming back is that like these little character moments and seeing those little character moments animate or like drawn out is really nice. Like there's a lot of detail that goes into uh Mira's work and it's it's either the like a technical breakdown of a sword fight or it's a like highly like detailed drawing of a background or a character or something like that like a two-page like splash of like a big action moment or like a terrifying character um yeah. i mean there's one like i noticed that there's like the big two-page splash which is like you get both pages that you open you turn one page and like the image covers both if you've never really read comic books or manga or anything like that like you get these two-page splashes that are always like the big money shots and it like you can get some of those that are reserved for certain characters and it's normally like immortal characters or like absolute monsters or tyrants or like horrible people and then it turns to, like, you're reading through different chapters, and then a person gets that. Like, they get the double splash, and you're like, oh, that means they're important. It's a very good storytelling technique to, like, really emphasize, like, oh, this person is a serious threat. They're 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 dangerous to the band of the hawk, and it's uh, very well used, and it's very sparingly used, which is the thing I like. Most of Berserk looks kind of similar. It's easy to read as well. There's a good flow through the pages that's kind of hard to get if you've if you're not really into manga, you don't read it that much. Like actually, flowing from one image to the next can be kind of tricky, but Berserk nails it. So I really like that. But then every now and again, it breaks format, and you're like, "Oh, that means something. It tells you a lot." It's, it's good to hear that there's something more to get from the the uh, the manga, which I suppose is usually the case if you're going from watching a, an anime to reading the manga. There's always a little bit more to expect, but. It's also good to hear that you're saying that there's not much between them, so you could stick to one or the other, and you're still going to get the berserk story. Yeah, you you're not going to be reading this and going, "Who's that? What what's this? What's all this going on?" Um, like a lot of it's presented basically the same as it is in the anime. There's a few bits and pieces I want to go and double check. Um, particularly like a certain scene uh, afterwards, I'm like, I'm sure they didn't show that in the anime. I know they didn't show that one. Um, but there's some stuff uh to do with like uh, the court politics later on. I kind of think it's the same, but I want to double check. Because there's a good portion of the, the series is spent with them pretty, like going from being hardened battlefield warriors to having to deal with the kind of petty bullshit court side of the, 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 the empire that they're in. 
and it's it's fun because it's like people who do not give a shit about all this weird petty politics having to kind of navigate that world. It's, it's a lot of fun, and it's uh, it's good. So it's, it's a lot of fun. But uh, the one warning I'll give you: um, these books are not censored, Dom. I don't want uh, certain people getting their tiny little hands on them. You don't want to hear Uncle Dom. What's the technical monster doing? Yeah, there's a no, few. T- there, <laughs> there will be. There, there's always the consensus that if there's a comic book in in this room that Lily gets her hands on, she's not to read it because Batman the animated series kind of freaked her out when she was younger. So, I, if she picks up, you know, Dark Knight's death metal and she's, <laughs> you know, the Batman who laughs hitting someone over the head with a, a crowbar or something like that. Actually, I just checked. It's, it's, that's not something I want to deal with, but <laughs> she knows not to look at that. Actually, just checked, and uh, Volume Thirteen has a nice big anime titty right in the front of it. So yeah, these books uh, <laughs> you might want to keep an eye on these before you have to explain yeah. yourself. So, but yeah, beyond the like graphic content, um, which I guess might need a warning for some people, it's a fantastic story. I think you'll really enjoy it. Um, but yeah, I'm hoping to have. I've got up to book twenty out of forty-one. Hoping to have the other, like the remainder of this, all bought in by Christmas. So hopefully I can get it all bought and read by then. But my Christmas gift to myself. I mean, if you my, my Christmas gift to myself is going to be uh, this year is probably going to be uh, Xbox. I can find one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, you got to go big, really. Yeah. <laughs> you got to gift yourself something good at Christmas. But yeah, that was uh, our little update on Berserk. But I think with that, we're ready for uh, elevator pitches to wrap out the show. Yep. Yeah. So uh, do you want to go first since you didn't do one last time? Yeah. So. Just to reiterate for both the audience and myself, how are we doing this? 30 seconds. Yeah, roughly 30 seconds to basically convince me to click a link to something that you think I should see or watch or read or whatever. Yeah, this is a... This is what I'm going to recommend for you this week. We were unfortunate enough to grow up in a time where school discos were heavily still a thing and we were devoted... We were forced to listen to some of the cheesiest pop songs that the 90s could ever crank out. Mm-hmm. At the top of that list, none other than the cacophonous demons themselves, the Venga Boys, right? Oh, boy. Oh, so, I know where this is going. <laughs> save your judgment. Right? One of my favourite artists of uh, my older life, uh, when I started getting more into heavy metal and things like that, was a guy called uh, Devin Townsend, right? And he does quite a lot of unique music uh, like people try and pigeonhole him as prog rock but a prog metal but there's so much more than that he's a kind of a, a genre genre fluid type of artist but it's all kind of mainly metal uh, music that he does but it's what he does with, within that within that uh, sort of genre that is genuinely genuinely unique and like most artists they were hit pretty hard during lockdown during quarantine and uh like most artists, they put on concert. They either put on concerts through Zoom and charge, you know, money, and then give all that money to the NHS and things like that. And during quarantine, Devin Townsend released, I think, about twelve videos that all had the suffix "quarantine project." And "quarantine project" part three is Devin Townsend's metal version of "We Like to Party" by the Venga Boys, and it is just as fucking weird as you think it would be. If you don't know who Devin Townsend is. Uh, he likes to do very weird and funny things with music, and this this track is no different. the The track itself is or the video itself on YouTube is three minutes fifty four seconds. You cannot get this on Spotify. You cannot get the song anywhere else. You can only watch the video on YouTube. Uh, if you want to hear funny as hell, kind of weird version, slightly metal version 
of We Like to Party by the Venger Boys, I urge you to click on this link and watch We Like to Party by Devin Townsend. All right, that sounds horrifying. Um, Amazing. I'll actually, send me the link to that so I can put it in the show notes <laughs> as well before I forget. Um, just because I don't want to accidentally put people to the wrong version of a Devin Townsend cover of the Venger Boys. Um, but yeah, I'll go check that out. That sounds horrible. <laughs> horrible in the best Thank way. Like, amazing. <laughs> horrifying and hor- maybe horrible but really wrong word. horrifying definitely the right word right so actually fun enough uh, for my elevator pitch I've also got a music track awesome uh, so um, basically I want to give people the best cover of an anime opening I've ever heard and that is One Punch Man's opening track The Hero which is performed by Jam Project originally and it's been covered by Jonathan Young now this is a five year old video uh, at the time of posting but it's new to me so it counts uh, and I, I love the original. The Jam Project, the Heroes track, is fan-fucking-tastic if you're going to get yourself pumped up. It's a great way to do it, but you don't know the lyrics because you don't speak Japanese. However, um, getting a good translation of it is really hard um, because, you know, it's Japanese music. It doesn't translate very well into English. So when Jonathan Young releases his cover of it, it's a really great cover in terms of maybe not, like, exact one-for-one translation, but in terms of, like, a thematic, uh, powerful, like, get-hyped song... I think this is probably the best example of it I can get. And uh, yeah, I've been listening to this randomly throughout the week, and it's one of those tracks that you use to kind of pump yourself up uh, to go into work for. So yeah, that is my elevator pitch for One Punch Man by Jonathan Young. Um, so yeah, check out The Hero. I'll send the link to Dom. But yeah, uh, I think people will really enjoy that one. That song is actually on my uh, pre-game playlist. Oh yeah, because <laughs> so, uh, when you put it on, game, people are to, to the hero. <laughs> when that goes on, people are about to get fucking smashed. <laughs> Things are going to go down. All right, it's not your fault. But yeah, um, I think that's it basically um, for this yep. episode. Um, I've been Colin Graham. I've been Tom Anderson, and we've been talking gibberish. <laughs>